0: It is 1:30, and we're all here for the afternoon uh, meeting of the Vale Town Council. And uh, all town council members are present, plus Russ Forrest, Matt Myers here somewhere, Kathleen, Stephanie, Bibbins, and I. am not hooked up to the internet, but my guess is the first item of agenda is Mr. Light. All right, step on up. All
1: right. Just as an introduction, Sam is the general counsel for Cersei. I know many of you know him, and give us a little orientation
2: today. All right, and a bit of a refresher. Good afternoon, Council, Mayor. Happy New Year. Getting right, getting right to it after the after the New Year's. hope you all had a great holiday. Thanks uh, for having me up to come visit this afternoon. So I do see some familiar faces, and I also understand we have a couple of new members uh, on Council, um, including some who had previously been on council, so they have a, a little bit of a, a mix um, at Sursa in, in terms of the elected and appointed officials training that we do. We try to get out and visit our members, uh, you know, once every two years or so. So thanks for the invitation to come back up and, and chat with you all. By way of uh, further introduction, my name is Sam White, and I'm the Deputy Executive Director and General Counsel for Sursa. And for the new members, um, CIRSA stands for the Colorado Intergovernmental Risk Sharing Agency. Phew, just kind of a mouthful, which is why we call it CIRSA. So we're the town's insurer for property and casualty coverages. Uh, just a little bit more about CIRSA. We're not a commercial insurance company. We're what's called a public entity self insurance pool. And our only members, our only book of insurance business is insuring Colorado cities and towns. We're very proud of that we have long-standing relationships with our members we have about 285 members in Csa that's about 85 percent of the municipalities in the state of Colorado we truly do have long-standing valued relationships with our members to give an example of that uh, you all have been with our property and casualty program since 2003 so we appreciate that and we value uh, being able to serve the uh, town of Vale with your insurance and risk management needs so um, I'm going to do a presentation. By the way, uh, you can find out more about us at www.sursa.org. For you all as elected officials, right on the home page, there's a ribbon across the top. If you click on Education and Training, that drop-down menu has a page for elected officials, and has a bunch of articles, training materials, publications that look at risk issues uh, from that governing body perspective. So I hope that's helpful to you, and you can also learn more about. CSRSA there, and that the uh, handout that I left at your place is the publication, the little handout there called CSRSA at a Glance. It gives you a little bit more information about what we do uh, for our members. So um, we have training resources for all levels of the organization for our municipal members, elected appoint- officials, appointed officials, for example, if the Planning Commission would like a training, we do that as well, and we also do it for uh, employees at other levels of the organization. Our risk. The control department does operational trainings, risk management, safety seminars for people there as well. So those resources are there for you as much or as little as the town uh, would like to use those and we encourage you to take take advantage of those. So um, our executive director and I, we do the trainings for elected officials and this afternoon I'm just gonna do a quick presentation on what we call best practices for you all as elected officials, really suggestions that we hope will help you elevate your success as individual elected officials, uh, as if not more important, as a group, as a governing body. Um, being on a multi-member governing body really is, is a wee job at the end of the day, working uh, cooperatively. And so my presentation is built around suggestions for success as elected officials, which we hope uh, by committing to these suggestions will help uh, reduce and help you manage <coughs> risk uh, as an organization. I'll talk a little bit about the role of public official, Organizational structure and liability, how everyone within the organization has a job description that does translate to risk management principles. We'll talk a little bit about transparency, though I'm sure you get information about the open meetings and open records laws uh, from your attorney and manager and staff, I'll touch on a couple of hot topics that we're seeing around that. We do separately, we do separate trainings on ethics and quasi-judicial decision making, but I'm gonna touch briefly on those uh, issues as well. If you've seen my presentation before, you'll remember I always make a disclaimer that I need to make again, which is though I am an attorney, this is not an attorney-client discussion. um, I'm happy to give thoughts um, throughout the presentation. If you have questions, feel free to interrupt and ask questions and can handle questions as we go through the material. But I do have a a, a good radar for what I call the live one. You know, sometimes I'll be in a training and someone says, Sam, I got a question. Mm what if another member of the board does this? And everyone's eyes open wide, this is gonna be exciting. My radar is going off telling me that's the burning question of the day here in the town of Bale, for which if you need legal support, that's for Matt and his team to help you out. Or if it's a non-legal issue, but still everyone's eyes are still open, that's for Russ uh, and his his team to give you support on that. Uh, And that does, Give me a pause to highlight one of my main suggestions. From your perspective on the governing body, use your manager right, as your resource to help enable your success. We're going to talk about organizational structure and liability, how there is a distinction between policy and administration, it's important for liability purposes. But the, the larger, you know, staying out of the weeds for a moment, the, the manager is there as your CEO to help support and accomplish the work as you define it. You want to use your manager as a resource to help you (coughs) do great things on behalf of the community and look good while doing it. Same thing with your uh, attorney and and the support that they provide uh, to you. So let's dive right in. My first suggestion may not sound like much of a risk management principle, but it really is, and that is, once you become a member of the governing body, who agrees with this notion? Your role and relationship to the community changes kind of dramatically, right? You're no longer just a citizen of Vail. You're now a government official. And I'm here to tell you that's a 24-7 job. That doesn't mean give up your personal life. Please don't and please enjoy it, but in the eyes of your citizens, your constituents, right, those that know you're on the council will always perceive you to be a representative of of the council, a representative of the town as an organization, right? That's true in any setting. Do you all interact with citizens every now and then? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, sure you do, right? Sometimes it's like, well, I wanted to, and sometimes it's they corner you, right? And So you're going to be interacting with citizens, and you know, maybe a citizen comes up to you and they say, what, what's the town council going to do about this? And maybe your own radar is going off, and you're thinking to yourself, well, what, what, we haven't even talked about this yet as a council, but they're still saying, you know, what's your opinion? What's the town going to, what do you think? And you, so you, you know, um, with your radar going off, you kind of say to them, well, look, You know, we haven't talked about it, but here's my personal opinion. Here's my personal opinion. Here's my personal opinion. What are they filtering? Council member, (coughs) council member, council member, right? And that's 24/7. And as they should, you know, your words, your deeds, your actions, leave an impression, have an effect. Of course, when you're acting as legislators, you're passing laws that affect people's lives, right? And so it's always important to remember that you wear that hat uh, 24-7 when you became a member of the council also you're no longer an outsider to town government You're now insiders from a risk management perspective that of course means that on the inside The towns and the council's rules <coughs> and ways of doing business and the ta- council procedures They all now stick to us Right uh, for the new members. I, I don't think they do this anymore But you know they used to give you a big book of ordinances. Hopefully, you know, it's like a couple hundred pages, you know. Well, those things still exist. They're just out there on the internet now, right? Those hundreds of pages, they govern the way they, that, that, that you make decisions, both procedurally and substantively. So you have to commit to follow them, and as an insider, they do uh, lay down the rules by which you make decisions. So um, remember also, right, in the role of a public official, you, you know, you're a representative of the organization, <coughs> an ambassador. For the town as an organization, and legally, you're a fiduciary, right? Of the organization. Legally, that term, right, in, in a legal sense, that means putting a fiduciary is one who's obligated by law to put the interests of the organization for which they serve as a fiduciary above all other interests. And who agrees that that ain't e- all that easy sometimes, particularly when you're trying to identify what, what's the interest to be pursued here, right? Um, but in terms of that, you want to keep, keep that in mind because in the eyes of the community, you're always, you're always a public official, okay?
3: All
2: right, um, one other piece on this is that, as it's true for everybody in the organization, but I think particularly for the elected and appointed officials who do uh, most of their work in a public meeting setting, delivering good governance is critical and part of the job description, right? Um, oh, before I get into that, let me ask the, the, the newly elected Folks, I'll ask everybody who likes process. <laughs> Do you like mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Yeah. Who likes process, right? Safety, <laughs> and, process. <Yeah>. safety <laughs> and process. There's safety and process. There's safety and process. And from from where you sit, you know we get the the bad rap once in a while. Government, it's a slow process. It's a you know it takes too long to say. That's my intention because as fiduciaries, right, in certain contexts, you're making decisions that are going to you know have long-term Effects And as we all know, as individual elected officials, sometimes we're going to win some and we're going to lose some, right? But part of the role is committing to this to process for the sake of process, committing to process as a product in and of itself, right? Irrespective of outcome, committing to look at issues on their merits alone, and that'll, that'll serve you well. Um, In terms of that aspect of it, and in terms of fulfilling your fiduciary obligation, you know, I think one of your strengths and prerogatives as a council is, in terms of fulfilling that mission, take the time that you need, right, and get the information that you need, right, to make good decisions. Process-wise, sometimes You know, people are going to want you to. Who's ever experienced this during public comment? Someone stands up and they they got a question, and the emotions are running high. And the council, you got to do this, and you got to do it tonight, right? And there's this sense of urgency or pressure to do something, right? In terms of committing to good process, I think it's your prerogative and exercise it wisely. If if it's not feeling like an issue's ripe, or you need more information from Russ or Matt or their teams, right? take that time to get more information, right? To take the time, maybe council needs to deliberate more on an issue, and I think that'll help show that you've got good process, it'll build people's faith and trust in your process, and quite frankly, help reduce and manage risk, because some types of claims are born out of claims of bad process, right? All right, so uh, also in terms of good governance, (coughs) I think, Risk management in, in terms of good governance at root is based both practically and legally on a couple of core civics concepts that if you commit to those, then corresponding liability risks tend to take care of themselves. I've listed some of them here. So for example, commit to openness and transparency and you'll have few if any disputes around the open meetings law, or the open records law. Right? We'll talk more about email in a minute. Uh, commit to predictability and even handedness. Right, that can be frustrating sometimes. Maybe you've got, well I know you do, you've got a lot of land use rules, right? While those land use rules are in place and they set the criteria for decision making, right, you have to be, understand the concept that you're bound to follow those rules in a predictable and even-handed manner. You don't want to be in situations where the vibe is, you know, an applicant feels like, well, those rules seem to work well, except on the night my application was in front of the council And that was the night that the council for the first time took a novel and unprecedented interpretation of their own rules, you know, in in an unpredictable way and they (coughs) turned me down. That sound like a good spot to be from a risk, no, not a good spot to be, the the actual legal claims that could arise from that is someone could say, well, I was in the same position as somebody else and the rules were not applied the same, so that's an equal protection type of claim or that fancy word on the slide there, certiorari. That's basically a claim that the decision that was made was basically off script, that the reasons for the decision were arbitrary, that the decision makers, i.e. you all, right, did not follow your own criteria for decision making, but used irrelevant or arbitrary decision making factors. So uh, that's an important point uh, as well. Mutuality of respect may not sound like a risk management tool, but it really is. You're going to have difficult decisions to make. And it's certainly a job where you're not going to make 100% of the people happy 100% of the time. But even in the most (coughs) difficult decision-making process, even if people walk away saying, I will never agree with the substantive decision council made, if they walk away, on the other hand, thinking, but it was a good process, and I felt like I was heard, and I felt like (coughs) I was respected, then that's a great place to be in building faith and trust in the council, right? And your risk profile, I think, goes down. Uh, correspondingly oh, let's see all right let me pivot there all right let's pivot just a little bit and talk about organizational structure and liability for the new folks <coughs> I hope your first question with the Matt was not can I get sued <laughs> as an elected official but the answer is sure you can right so here I just want to <coughs> lay first what your protections are how they relate to insurance and then talk about risk management around the issue just as a refresher so in Colorado, we have good liability protections for elected and <coughs> appointed officials and employees as well, right? Those, and here what I'm talking about is, can someone sue you and hold you individually and personally liable as a council member for acts or omissions as a council member, right? So in Colorado, we have a good statute called the Colorado Governmental Immunity Act, and it basically says that the town, and by extension, the insurance company, Sursa, will defend you and pay judgments against you for acts or omissions as an elected official. Great news, right? There, there are conditions to that, and they are that those protections apply only so long as you're acting within the course and scope of your employment and not acting in a willful and wanton manner. Now, both those phrases may seem a little odd to, <coughs> to you as an elected official, because you're thinking, scope of employment, that's not me, That's Russ, and the other employees, right? The simple way to describe it is simply, that's the phrase that's used in the statute, scope of employment, and it means that everyone needs to understand, honor, and stay within their job description or their authorized duties. So to give you an easy example of that, within whose job description, within whose scope of employment within the town of Vail, is it the responsibility to approve or deny a short-term rental license. Then whose scope of employment is that? I hope I got this right. Matt's gonna jump in and correct who's me. That? He's gonna correct me if I got it wrong. It's the finance director, right?
4: Or the uh, finance
2: director's designee, a licensing officer. Right. So whose who's job ain't it within whose scope of employment ain't it? Everybody else. Yeah, everybody else. Yeah, everybody else, so that idea, right, allocations of responsibility (laughs) appears everywhere. In state statute, in your charter, other examples is law enforcement is vested in the law enforcement authority, right? Election responsibilities are vested in the clerk. So it's, conversely, it runs all directions. Conversely, within whose scope of employment, within whose job description is it to decide whether or not the town enters into a contract exceeding $1 $1 million, right? That's above your purchasing authority, I hope. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's not. <laughs> well, who would that be? Fifty. 50. The yeah, council. A council. The awesome. council, right? And so whose job is it? Everybody else. <coughs> who within whose scope of employment is it to, to decide whether or not the uh, um, town of Vail uh, decides to enter into or incur debt? Only you or the citizens, yeah. right? And not, not anybody else. So that's a concept that runs everywhere. Just keep that in mind. Willful and is the other interesting phrase, you're protected as long as you're not engaging in willful and wanton conduct. That's just conduct that's intentionally undertaken, designed to injure someone's legal rights, and taken with reckless disregard for what their rights are. And my even simpler way of describing it is I just call it bad stuff. Because right? it really is. And my claims people tell me this is the most common fact pattern where people get into trouble with allegations of willful and wanton conduct. It's almost always an allegation that an individual elected or appointed official or employee, right, acting individually, misperceiving that they have some governmental authority that they actually don't have, right, throwing on this purported cloak of governmental authority and doing bad things to people for the wrong reasons. And it really would be bad stuff, it would be engaging in malicious acts. Maybe to give you a real life example from our claims world, it would be, you know, uh, an elected appointed official who's not <coughs> right thinking about an issue conscripting uh, the building official. He was also not right thinking and going on a campaign to make sure that their business competitor's project got a red tagged or that their business competitor's uh, business license didn't get renewed, right? Or intentionally uh, defaming someone, right? Or engaging in other malicious acts, and of course criminal acts, right? Obviously you're not protected against that as well. And that could create both criminal liability and uh, be considered. A I, I love bill. I love
5: some of the case law that describes yeah. the, the defining. Uh, the Wolf of One is some of the car crash cases. I, I love the phrase, It's acting with an, quote, element of evil. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 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 element
2: of evil? Yeah. 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 yeah slip that around, and just before that moment <laughs> of truth, right? When, when, we don't see it that often. Before the moment of truth, they always evil. <laughs> Ask, was, was I elected to do that, to engage in evil? <laughs> no. yeah. right. But so anyway, we all know <laughs> where those boundaries lie, right? And we're going to stay far <clears> away from that stuff. But that's a reminder of where the boundaries of the protection are, they do relate to your insurance coverage, right? Um, I always sound a little bit like the Grim Reaper here, but it's important to understand how (coughs) these concepts work. The insurance policies follow the same concept and say we insure and provide you with a defense and indemnity indemnity, um, within the same course and scope concepts. That is, we extend coverage to elected officials in their capacity as such, but public officials' liability coverages have exclusions from coverage for criminal acts, malicious acts, and willful and wanton conduct, because it mirrors the town's obligation right to indemnify its officers. So in a real bad situation, if you're held personally liable for punitive damages, recognize also under Colorado law, those are not insurable, right? So intuitively, we all know where bad stuff is, and we're gonna stay far away from it. I just wanted to remind you of what that is. Um, to end with a silver lining around this cloud, a couple of things: the the Colorado Governmental Immunity Act provides a strong protection for elected officials when they're acting within the scope of their employment. Right? It basically says that you can't be sued in tort, right, for actions, right, as an elected official, so long as you stay within those uh, parameters. So that's. The state law on that issue, on the federal side of it, sometimes people ask, what about federal exposure to federal lawsuits? So the, the Colorado Governmental Immunity Act is a form of qualified immunity. We have all heard that for <coughs> the last couple of years. You've heard qualified immunity around policing issues, right? But it's actually a concept that applies to all governmental actors at any level. Uh, and it's a protection from federal liability. And it basically says that you're protected from federal uh, liability, right? Insofar as your conduct does not violate clearly established statutory constitutional rights of which a reasonable person would have known. The interesting piece from your perspective, the interesting phrase of that language that I quoted there is, How do I know? <laughs> How do I know? Right? Hey, you got great resources on that. These issues don't come up all that often, but sometimes. You have situations where an applicant or somebody's saying, well, counsel, if you do that, you're gonna be violating my constitutional rights, whatever they are, my First Amendment right, you know, Second, Fourth Amendment right. So, you know, from where you sit, the question is, well, are we, are we at risk in this area? And that's where Matt and his team are there to help, right, identify what the pros and cons are, what the legal risks are, what the state of the law is. Uh, you do wanna give um, your counsel a little bit of grace when they give you that lovely legal answer that says, it depends. Right? Because in, in areas of federal civil rights liability in particular, it's highly <coughs> fact specific. right? They're a pretty bright line, you know, a lot of bright lines. But sometimes you may get into some subject matter where it, the law isn't 100% clear, right. But your prerogative then as counsel in terms of managing this risk is make sure we slow down the process. Talk about what authority do we have, what are the pros and cons of this or that course of conduct, right? Where are our, our safe harbors, right? So you have a, an, a whole array of advice and options, right, if you feel like you're getting into uh, a particularly risky uh, area. Okay? All right. A lot of this uh, sort of begs the question of, you know, from an elected official's perspective, okay, you talked about like building official and, and law enforcement and clerk, but what, what's our job description, right? Well, you know, as your charter says, the, the, the council is the, is the legislative branch, right, of the government. I think your code also says the council is the legislative and governing body. To put it kind of in a graphic form, right, I think that, that then asks the question, where does the council, where does the governing body spend its energy and its resources, right? And on this chart, you, you're uniquely qualified and positioned to deal with those upper tiers, like the ownership and governance by providing policy direction, making long-term decisions. What are council's most important documents, right? It's not the building permits, right, or that kind of stuff. It's the long-term vision documents. It's the annual budget, the master plan, long-term capital planning, establishing long-term relationships through intergovernmental agreements, appointment of your direct reports. We'll talk about that in a little bit. So in terms of that, policy making administrative (coughs) distinction there clearly is right Uh, a distinction between what you all do as a council and what your manager does uh, and you want to respect that it's not that they're silos they're mutually supportive but in terms of the job description the council is the legislative and governing body not the administrative arm of the organization i I think that means you should have the longest time horizon right council's looking down the road you're having the, the After all, what's one of your main job descriptions in terms of resourcing and empowering the organization? You provide a forum and a venue for people to come and talk about needs and wants of the community. And you decide how we put, help decide how we put governmental resources on those needs and wants. So we're thinking in terms of legislation, annual budget, long-term planning, broad interests, right? And then working in a fiduciary capacity to protect the interest and assets of the town and, and also I think to protect the council as an institution. Right? Because at the end of the day, um municipal works kind of like a train. The train keeps going, but everyone during their term is on the train and but we all want the train to get where it's going. Right? And so I think it's part of the fiduciary obligation is to make make the things happen that make the institution stronger to move to move forward as a community. Um, from a risk management perspective, this concept of role discipline, is particularly important in the area of employer <coughs> and administrative matters that are assigned to staff as I touched on earlier. So we all know and understand and appreciate right, that um, except for your few direct reports as counsel, right, elected and appointed officials are not employee supervisors. right? Who are your direct reports? Your manager, a judge. Judge, a judge, attorney, manager. anyone else. <laughs>
3: Yeah. That's it. That's
2: it. What a wonderful place to be from an elected official's perspective. <laughs> you can push all the employment practice liability risk on the manager. And Russ and his team, they love dealing with all that issue and dealing with all the risk around employment practices issues, which is incredibly complex, right? And it's been a continual thing over the last couple of decades, but particularly over the last couple of years, the, the number of ways to bring claims against public entities for employment-related risks. It just keeps going up and up and up. You wanna to leave to your HR professionals the responsibility to, to deal uh, with those issues. Recognize that that concept is, <clears throat> it's enshrined in your charter, right? I, I've cited the provision there. You've got, like almost all home rule entities in the state, you've got a charter provision that recognizes, not that mutually exclusive, but that mutually supportive yet respectful distinction between policymaking and governing legislation, which you all do, and the administrative arm of the organization, which is the responsibility of the manager. That charter provision says that elected officials shall not dictate or intervene in the the appointment of officers or employees, and also that except for inquiry, right, um, the elected officials shall deal with the administrative arm of the organization through the town manager. That's important, you know, it'll you know, be collegial, and sure, I, I hope Russ concurs with me, it's fine if you bump into a department head to ask them the status of a project, right? But we have to do it in a mutually supportive way, and it's a whole different thing, right, to do something that's perceived by an employee as giving them an order. That's what the charter prohibits, right? Your directions, your orders are to be given to the manager right who can then ask questions for clarification and you're responsible for policy setting visionary (coughs) stuff and then the manager and his team are responsible for carrying out the work as defined by the council okay so but i'm not i I, am not naive in this area i was a municipal attorney for 25 years before i joined sursa and so i know that you know it (coughs) might happen once in a while that someone approaches an elected appointed official and says can i talk to you about my boss and the answer is no. We, know, we love and respect our employees, but I as a council member, right, and we as a council don't get involved in personal <coughs> matters at that level. I would encourage you to talk to HR, your supervisor, whoever there is to help and support you. There are sometimes personnel matters that might rise to your level, but really, at the end of the day, the appropriate role for council with regard to personnel matters is that broad stuff, determining the overall pay budget, determining the overall organizational structure, Managing that relationship with your direct reports, right? but only with your direct reports uh, and not others. Because if things um, kind of take a turn and we, and we lose the chain of command, how do we get that back, right? How do we get that back? And if, and if we're not in lockstep on that issue, I think it can weaken the council as an institution, right, um, as well, so, okay? You do want to commit to speaking with your, uh, to your direct reports with one voice. And by that, I don't, well, you know how you go sometimes. You have a discussion and the mayor says, okay, great discussion, council. Let's give Russ some direction. And we go down the dais and get one, seven different ideas of what the direction ought to be. That's when we turn to Russ and say, Russ, you got your direction? <laughs> yeah, but you all know who owns that issue in terms of that relationship. You do and you want to you want to because that's you know even if it has to be put to a vote and by a split vote right when you speak with one voice to your direct reports that's how you get clarity and accountability (coughs) the managers right will tell you that they're accountable to the the voice of the council as a whole however that may end up being articulated so you'll want to work out how you deal with those some nights (coughs) might be kind of hard to figure that out and the mayor's in, in their wisdom you know they look at that situation and go huh well, this is kind of intractable this evening we're not going to get to clear direction to our manager but we have to commit to bring it back and, and that's a great place to be <coughs> if, if you don't it can break down because i've seen we've seen this happen and i've seen claims arise from this issue which is where you know you, to keep my sort of simple example going if it breaks down and then what happens later after that meeting where there wasn't clear direction and then people maybe start swinging by the manager's office and saying hey That was a messy discussion the other night, but uh, here's what I want you to do. (laughs) Is that consistent with the we of council, right? Um, And would you be surprised if someone who had a different view of the direction were doing the same thing? So you have to commit to strengthen yourselves as an institution by speaking with one voice to your direct reports. Okay, a couple other concepts around role discipline. Recognize that all those charter and code provisions that allocate authority to other people, they actually serve and protect you. They free up your time to do what council does best. And they also protect you because if we get a claim, and for some reason, this is sort of a simplified example too, but if I get a claim and it starts naming council members, but the decision clearly relates to some exercise of authority (coughs) that was in the manager's wheelhouse or the clerk's wheelhouse, we'll hold up that ordinance and we'll say, well, You don't you understand from the city from the from the town code that the decision that was made that you're challenging was made by the clerk And nobody else so why are you adding elected officials as defendants? Hopefully right that's the end of the conversation because there's no evidence of uh, You know anything untoward happening and we get people dismissed from those suits pretty easily when they try to just name elected officials for effect (laughs) Right, Uh, so that's an important thing to understand as well. Uh, a couple other tips around this, recognize, as I mentioned earlier, that uh, being on a multi-member elected governing body is kind of a, is a wee job. Um, I hope Matt concurs, but there are more protections. You are in your safest place when you're acting together as a council in your meeting room at a duly called public meeting. All sorts of other legal privileges that apply uh, to that, so that's a great, uh, that's a great thing there, okay?
3: That's,
2: The commitment to supporting the town structure I think does require some personal commitments as well around personal conduct. I've listed a couple couple of here, you know, some of the sacrifices they have to be made once in a while, like setting aside a personal interest or agenda when there's lack of support. Right. You, you may have, Well part of the reason I ran and one of my campaign platforms is when I get elected we're gonna have an ordinance to blank, whatever it is, amend the STR regulations. But if I can't find three members that are willing to come along with me, I have to be willing to shelve that personal interest in view of the interest of the council as defined by the council. So, what about this dynamic? Do you, do you mayor, every once in a while, have split votes? Five, two, four, three votes. Lately, yeah, once in a while, right? So individually, as an elected official, if you were on the the losing side of a 4-3 vote, it's okay to go back and tell your people, your constituents, right? I didn't vote for that one, is that all right? I'm just the insurance guy. Far be it for me to tell you, you know? But is the dynamic different? Right? Are we strengthening accountable as an institution if the comment were, yeah, I didn't vote for that one, but you know what? We had a really good debate about that as council. There were a lot of differing opinions. I fought like heck for my position, but you know what? Council decided to go a different direction, and I respect the voice of council on that issue, right? Because we're all going to win or lose something. I and those are the kinds of things that make the council as an institution stronger, <coughs> irrespective of our personal view as an outcome. Um, you know, there is a fiduciary aspect to that as well. I have had claims arising around situations where individual council members um, not happy with the outcome of a vote, after the fact have tried to do things that undermine or undo the vote, which can create liability risks to third parties, right? So that's, you don't have to be the main cheerleader of a decision you didn't like, but you have to recognize the fiduciary responsibility not to create liability in in an effort to undo some decision. Okay. Um, Another dynamic is that people ask me about once in a while when they call our liability hotline, because I think they're wondering whether there's a magic wand or state statute that you can waive over this issue, but I think it's really just a wise council that keeps its eyes up for this and talks with each other about it. And that is, are there perceptions or concerns that one of us is getting ahead of the council or or purporting to speak for council, right, when we have not yet spoken? It can, in extreme situations, create liability risk, particularly if some third party uh, claims that they relied upon some opinion or statement by elected officials that they thought had authority to speak, right, that doesn't come up all that often, but I think the more common dynamic is, is there frustration internally of do we have a situation where we seem to be getting ahead or behind each other in what we're doing, can we talk about, maybe you have to agree to disagree on those issues, but we, can we talk about where we are on an issue and who are our
3: spokespeople,
2: okay. Let's talk a little bit about transparency. I'm sure that staff talks to you quite a bit about this. I just want to do a real quick refresher on the main rule and they tell you some of the hot topics that I'm seeing around litigation on this issue. So as you know, the open meetings law says whenever three or more council members meet to discuss public business, that's a, ma- that's a meeting that's open to the public, which means the public has a right to observe that discussion. So that's a rule of three, right? It applies whenever three or more members. So that must mean one-on-one discussions are okay, right? And I absolutely believe <coughs> one-on-one discussions are okay because it is a rule of three. One-on-one's okay. What do we all think of one-on-one-on-one-on-one-on-one? Is that okay, right? So what I'm telling you there is I'm identifying kind of this hot topic that's out there around, they call them daisy chain meetings, or in Texas they call them a walking quorum, walking around getting quorum, you know? You have to be sensitive to that issue. We all know intuitively where that line lies. And yes, one-on-one discussion is an important part of getting to know each other, understanding each other's perspectives, but when it comes to the pending public business matters you have, right, you can't use one-on-one discussions as a substitute for having those discussions that need to occur in a public meeting and certainly not for taking action. I think the way I articulate the risk is if you ever have a claim where the proof actually supports the accusation that what was occurring in the public meeting was a mere rubber stamping of a decision that was made elsewhere, then that's where the risk, the risk lies on that issue, okay? And you've probably seen in the news a couple of uh, accusations around uh, these kinds of issues, okay? Um, one of my handouts, um, the, the statute says that open a meeting for purposes of this any kind of meeting, whether it's in person like this or by phone, nobody does that anymore. Zoom, we love Zoom meetings, right? Uh, Or by email, right? So that's why staff has coached you to remind you that do not use email, right, for discussions of public business that need to occur in public meetings. Maybe you've got some tips and tools around that, right? Please don't reply all. Email is good for some things, right, but not for the deliberations of public business that need to occur in open meetings. And there's there's a handout that provides some tips uh, on effective use of email as well as the areas to stay away from.
3: Okay.
2: That's, any other thoughts around open meetings? Oh, the flip side of that is, um, you know, while you do most of your work in an open meeting setting, you are allowed to have executive sessions. From where you sit as the, the people engaging in the executive session, a couple of things, just, just make sure that You get those procedures just right. Staff's there to help you. You probably use a script before you go into executive session, but if anything sounds odd, did we get that motion right? (laughs) Just slow it down and make sure you you get it right, that all the boxes are checked. And then when you're in your executive session, you have to self-police to make sure that you stay only within the authorized topic. And then finally, make sure you've got good systems to protect confidential information. Because even if you voted against going into executive session, and even if you can't stand the concept of the transaction maybe that's being discussed in executive session, the matter subject to negotiation, as fiduciaries, right? you're obligated to protect the town's confidential information. And one tool I suggest around that, particularly with matters subject to negotiation, is because sometimes there's a fair amount of like background that's needed in executive session to help develop a strategy. You just ask yourself, of all, you know, maybe it's the mayor who's (coughs) leading the discussion, of all all the confidential information that we've discussed in this executive session, which information, if any, leaves the room and who are our spokespersons?
0: Is the safest way to have our town attorney read all of our motions to go into executive session?
3: (laughs) i mean when it gets
0: to two pages matt you
2: know it gives you it gives you that very powerful moment to say so move it
5: feels awesome right i'm just kidding a couple things do you you know a council member got on because we we're having too many executive sessions and some of was all, all all my fault <laughs> they're my executive sessions kind of like the misperception that all this litigation you're in is my litigation um <laughs> i'm don't litigate anything and the executive sessions takes a two-third majority vote so i know boulder doesn't even go in which seems to me a little weird if you're trying to negotiate a real estate deal and kind of letting everyone know what your numbers are and all that but, but um, yeah, it's a choice to the council. I don't call them. You guys call them and vote whether to go in. And we need two thirds majority any time to go in.
3: yeah
0: So that's you're, you don't want to read the motions. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, having a script is good and it helps make sure uh, all the boxes are uh, are checked. In the broader picture, uh, you know. Two thoughts, don't try to pair, pound a square peg into a round hole. If it really doesn't fit within an authorized topic, then just recognize it's going to be a delicate discussion that has to occur, occur in an open session. Right? And then second, um, irrespective of the legal aspect, there may be perceptions that, you know, that you're holding too many executive sessions, even though they're legally authorized. right? I think what might help in that regard is um, you, know, you determine what you're going to say publicly. But you remind the public, right, of the core underlying reason for the executive session. You know, so if it's to negotiate a negotiation strategy on land purchase, um, you know, you could come out of the executive session, you verify that the executive session was solely for discussion of a matter subject to negotiation, and you remind (coughs) the folks that there'll be a chance. There will be a later, that if the negotiation gets any traction, there will be a later public agenda item upon which the council will have further discussion and upon which we will welcome input from people who want to provide us with feedback on that issue. It reminds them that it's not there to do business behind closed doors, but it's to protect your position and the interests of the community, right, with regard to some some issue. There are a few municipalities around the state that have uh, prohibition completely on executive sessions. One of them's um, Boulder, but I think, mo- you know, most of them use it just, right? use them sparingly and make sure that you follow all the procedural rules. Okay, Uh, let's talk about ethics real quick. As I mentioned, uh, we do separate ethics training, but I just want to get um, ethics on your radar. Ethical scandals are kind of fun to read about. When they don't involve
3: us, right? you know?
2: And as a municipal guy, I love reading about executive uh, ethical scandals, like in the state legislature or something like that, right? But more seriously, who, who agrees with this notion? Like, ethical rules, don't they seem like they're written by lawyers?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And, and like they're in this faraway place, you know? Yeah, and they, and they kind of are. You, you, as a home rule municipality, you've got a couple of provisions in your charter that talk about ethics, and I've noted them there on the slide. Those have to do primarily with financial interest in contracts, right? But as I understand it, you also follow the state code of ethics, which is in this faraway statute book of state statutes, right? But um, I I recommend (coughs) to you, suggest to you that you you take the time, like CML's got a little pamphlet that summarizes the state ethics code. Uh, Your staff could provide you with either the statutes or summary or both from where you sit, you want to take the time to kind of plow through those rules a couple of times and get a good working familiarity with what they require so that you're in a good position to spot issues before they arise. That's the best place to deal with it. Because then if you see something coming up on a future agenda, <coughs> oh, I, I remember now that applicant, you know, I used to have some relationship. Does that still apply? Do I need to recuse myself from that, right? And you can look to your staff then for support to talk about, right, uh, what's the appropriate course of conduct in the face of a potential conflict of interest. Remember that the town attorney and manager are not a personal ethics advisor, but they have working familiarity with these codes and they can tell you from the city's perspective, right, as an organization, this is kind of what these rules expect. And, you know, this is what they suggest in terms of this potential conflict of interest, okay? Yeah, you know, I would
5: say there was a period of time where there was a newsletter that's printed in Eastvale that talked about uh, how we don't have an ethics code. There was a misconception. So I did, we have adopted all the whole soup to nuts. So I guess the question came, well, what is that? And so I did a memo that summarizes every um, ethics law that applies to you. Um, so if you don't have that, I'll shoot it to you if you're interested in getting it. It's, just a, it's a quick blurb on each one from conflicts to criminal acts to, yeah. But you you have a strong ethics code adopted by reference.
2: Yeah, and that, that good work and familiarity piece helps you with the um, Who agrees with this notion? You know, sometimes elected appointed officials are the subject of well-founded uh, and, and confirmed um, ethics issues, right? That once in a while an elected official is on the receiving end of a, kind of an off the dart board, right? Wholly unsubstantiated, wholly unrealistic accusation. You have a you have a, you have a conflict of interest because you live in this town, right? <laughs> is that, once, once we have a working familiarity, then we're able to educate folks on no, the, I, This is my understanding of what the code requires. I respectfully disagree with that, and there's an educational piece to that, which I think is helpful from a transparency uh, standpoint as well. So on conflicts, we all know the basic rule, right? Whenever the council is going to take some action that affects our own personal financial interests, we have to disclose that conflict of interest, right? We usually do that on the record at the meeting, right? And we have to recuse ourselves from the discussion and vote, right? Um, and then you have to refrain from attempting to influence the other decision makers. And do you also leave the room?
6: That's the question I had. Yeah,
5: do we have that question, you know, Some people do. I tell yeah. them they don't have to. I think, there's, you know, it's, I think part of Tammy's training a long time ago was that case where the Room was full, half developers, half opposition, and he came out and sat with clearly the oh. clearly one side of the room, and then gave the crook eye to the other council members the whole time. You know, texting, I don't know, yeah, attempting to influence, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, interestingly, the state the state statute doesn't address the issue one way or the other, and it'd be very few and far between where I'd be worried about the, the scenario that you mentioned, but it can happen. You know, it would, it's not somebody going to go to the back of the room and go, you yeah, know. Good comment, bad comment, that kind of thing. But I do wonder from a fiduciary aspect if leaving the room is what best serves the interest of the council as an institution because would the remaining council members feel freer to have a full discussion of the issue if the person holding the conflict had stepped away completely from the the room, right? Um, So that's just something to to think about. I think the one you mentioned uh, goes to my last bullet of that, and that's just to remember that in matters of of conflicts and ethics, right, fair or unfair, right or wrong, from where you sit as elected official, sometimes perception equals reality and reality equals perception. So you want to look at issues both in terms of um, am I meeting the letter of the law and what is the spirit of the law around these issues. And you're all empowered to come to your own individual decisions on that. You don't have a provision right, Matt, where The rest of the council has the authority to vote whether or not someone else holds a conflict of interest
3: okay
2: no yeah so you decide it's up to you to make your own individual decisions but plan ahead get advice before um, the issue is front and center um, and then you'll make good decisions around those issues
5: and and you know most of the time if there's a conflict issue you, you come to me before but you know if you don't have a conflict of interest our charter is one of those that um we vote for you. So if you're just avoiding the vote and you don't have a sub- direct and substantial interest in the outcome of the, the vote, um, I think it's yes or no, I forget what the charter said, but, we, but we, the, the vote is cast uh, on, your, on your behalf. So if you're avoiding a vote or something like that, I think that's the
0: And the, the difference reason. between a conflict of interest and impartiality is one's an economic benefit right
5: yeah 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 just direct to substantial financial interest. you know and you know i had a council member one time that that said you know came to me and said you know i work with this person i cannot be fair i cannot be participating in this i can't be impartial and um i kind of made the opinion that we weren't going to vote for that council member because we didn't even get to conflicts because they came in a quasi-judicial decision and said they can't be fair in it so we just kind of let them off the hook, a recusal without explanation.
7: So this yeah. is a good question. I've already had to recuse myself on a few. Yep. Yeah. Even though, as far as I know, I never received any financial benefit from any of those decisions. Yeah, yeah, that, that's because um,
5: you were on planning commission on the quasi-judicial right. votes and you already voted, yeah. Okay, so yeah. anything I
7: ruled on that comes back around
5: I yeah, mean. yeah, because you, you, the, the first litmus test is, you know, pre You know, right. you can't uh, prejudge something. And voting in a public meeting for or against is is, is judging it. Okay. Uh, it just so happened. But we're, we're clear of those decisions now, aren't we, most of them? Yeah, I don't know if anything yeah. else is coming Yeah, back, yeah. So. he came right from planning commission okay. to council and mm-hmm. had quasi usual meetings at planning commission. And then two of those items became council uh, (coughs) quasi-judicial
3: Yeah,
2: Yeah, so some code of ethics combine the two concepts, but it's really, when it's a quasi-judicial matter, you have to abide by the code of ethics with respect to any financial interest, and then there's another layer of impartiality, which stems from the due process requirement. And so they kind of layer on top of each other uh, that way. Finally, um, keep in mind sort of the helpful aspect of making a disclosure. Let's say it's one of those situations where you do the analysis you determine that you don't have a conflict of interest, right? You, you're, you intend to participate, <coughs> but there's still some lingering perception, and you can just kind of sense it in the room. Someone's in the back, why is he still, yeah. you You could make that disclosure and say, okay before we start, I just want to make a <coughs> comment for the record so everybody understands where I'm coming from. Um, there's been some suggestion that I have a conflict of interest because of X, or whatever. Just want to let everybody know that actually, I do not have any financial relationship. Uh, to this application, um, that it's true that whatever it was, the, the applicant was a, a roommate back in the day or something like that. But I intend to decide this matter according to the same rules as every other application, and I believe that I can decide this matter fairly and impartially, and I do not have any conflict of interest that prohibits my participation. You put that on the record, right? If, I, if we ever get a sort challenge where one of the claims made is that people, right, did have a conflict or were impartial. We're going to use that record, right, to help defend the decision. Because if nobody stands up, it, it doesn't ultimately wave a magic wand over it and the claim forever goes away, but it's helpful to raise it in the moment and ask, does anyone have a <coughs> concern, right? And you can kind of have a little discussion about whether or not there is a, a, a need to recuse.
5: Yeah, right, and especially, um, I think, you know, Jonathan and I did that a little bit on the vault uh, hearing. Uh, Brian, John Ryan Lockman uh, you know I think everyone knows we got sued over he, he they to Sam's point one of the claims in the lawsuit was John Ryan's conflict of interest in voting for Booth Heights and we had a Q&A on the record uh, of the hearing uh, more involved than Jonathan and I but but just about what he does for a living and you know um, whether he had a conflict you know so clearly in my mind under state law he didn't have one and he said he could be impartial um, so you know, we prevailed on that that um, that claim, but I think a lot of it was making a record of exactly on the, the record of the public hearing exactly what his position was and and um, and going through that like Sam just, Sam suggested and getting, getting it on the record because like we discussed when the judge gets the next case he usually just gets a transcript of what you said um, he doesn't get to you know. So if it's in there and there's no other evidence of a conflict other than the Q&A we have, then then there's really, the claim's going nowhere.
2: Okay, Um, and of course there's um, provisions in the Code of Ethics that are probably in Matt's memo about um, confidential information, right? Don't use any confidential information that you gain by virtue of elected office for your own personal financial benefit and gifts Right, So much about gifts, I don't know what your gift rule is under the state, we actually have a state constitution, uh, constitutional <coughs> amendment that deals with gifts, Right, um, which has a limit Right, uh, and the basic way to summarize that rule is don't accept any gift by, from any one person of more than $65 in any one year if it's in any way connected to your status as a public official. Right? Subject to one big caveat, don't accept the gift no matter what it's worth, if it's clear it's being offered to influence your vote Right? Or reward your official action. So, so much about gifts is the timing and context of it. And we all know, in good sense, when the timing and context suggests this is not an appropriate time to uh, be receiving a gift. You know, we all have friends and business associates and colleagues in the community, and we, we exchange Christmas gifts. But, you know, lo and behold, if they're the one that's got the final site plan development on next week's agenda, then this week is not the week to be accepting the tickets to the Broncos game, or whatever. Are they worth $65? <laughs> right? Not this year. But, not but this more, year. Yeah more, yeah, more seriously, you'll want to look at the gift rules and what the exceptions are, and make sure you're in a, a good spot uh, on that. Okay, all right. Last sub topic I want to talk about is due, due process. Um, and this gets into the idea of, it's a very interesting job, and for the, this takes a while to package, which is why we do a separate training, but I just want to get it on your radar. So some of the time, you're legislators. You're, you're making legislation for the community, <clears> for the town. And that's when you're making general rules that apply to everybody. Sometime in the future, there's no particular applicant in front of you. But at other times, you're not a legislator, you're more like a judge. And we call that quasi-judicial activity. And that's when you're taking the pre-existing legal rules that you have most often your land use rules or some licensing rules, right? and you're applying them to a specific applicant who's in front of you. When you're in that judge-like role, right, you're making decisions affecting people's individual property rights. right, And in that role, the due process clause right, kicks in. No person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So it's an awesome power that we have in local government (laughs) to make primarily land use decisions, like rezoning, development (coughs) plan approvals, subdivision approvals that affect people's individual property rights. But if we want that power, we have to commit to provide them with the due process that they're entitled to under the federal and state constitution. And what that means is you have to shift gears and no longer be a legislator, but be a judge And in that role, you have to do the things that judges would do and avoid doing the things that judges wouldn't do. One of the handouts, I think my last handout, is a quick synopsis on these concepts, okay? Um, But let me contrast in this way. Like in your legislative role, you might all be working on an ordinance. Maybe it's an ordinance to, I don't know, change your general (coughs) rules to require that every new residential home have an EV charging station okay that's a piece of legislation doesn't apply to anybody in particular just lays down new law for the town when you as council members are debating or thinking about that you can vote yes or no because you love or hate electric vehicles right you can lobby and be lobbied you can whip up opponents you can whip up supporters you can do your own research on why we should or shouldn't have that right? all those kinds of things are like intuitively what legislators do right but if it were the actual final development plan application for that project and you're the ones empowered to make that decision, all that's out the window. As a judge, right, you have to remain neutral, (coughs) impartial. You can't do your own investigations. You have to vote yes or no based solely on the town's existing criteria, not on your own personal opinions or what you personally think. You have to be, just like a judge, engaged in the concept of applying the predetermined rules to that particular uh, application, okay? Um, I've on the next slide, listed just a couple of the tips around this area, right? For these quasi-judicial matters, you have to limit your participation to just a public hearing, which can be kind of a lonely part of the job, right? Because you gotta, I, I, I suspect that once in a while, you probably have a controversial development application <laughs> come in front of the council, right? And of course, from a citizen's perspective, you know, rightfully so, you can't gainsay their thought. What do they, what do they wanna do when, once they hear this application's out there? To I you. wanna talk to my council member, right? And it's not that we don't wanna talk to you, it's just that as the judge, in order to make sure everyone gets a fair trial in front of the council, I can't talk with people outside of the public hearing process. A good way to look at it is if it were your application, right? Would it seem fair to you that the decision makers were having conversations with the proponents or the opponents outside of the public hearing, right? Where you wouldn't have the opportunity to hear what they were saying and respond, <coughs> right, to their reasons being offered as to why you ought to vote yes or no. So that's why you limit um, that, it does mean also create, maintain that separation if it's a matter that goes to the Planning Commission first, give them their space to do their part of the job. It, at some point, their part of the job will be over and they'll send their recommendation to you. Right? But I suggest that you not attend the Planning Commission meeting, right? Um, remain neutral, don't make up your mind before the hearing. Uh, here's kind of a funny way of looking at that issue. Do you, do you have medical marijuana, marijuana? No. You don't? Okay, but we have a lot of members that do. And on a legislative level, right, there's the question of do we, have a leg- do we have legislation that allows or doesn't allow marijuana within our community? And a lot of communities went through that. But a lot of municipalities, what happened is legislation was passed to either allow it by a vote of the, of the governing body or by a vote of the people, right? Because there were a number of state initiatives. But those initiatives, they all said, once, once it's allowed, guess who gets to make the decision of whether or not somebody gets a license? the governing body, right? So in terms of neutrality, I, I faced a couple of situations where an elected official, um, as, the, as the quasi-judicial licensing officer, would accidentally say, well gee, you know, the newspaper reporter said, well, you got a marijuana establishment coming in, what do you think? Well, I never wanted to have marijuana establishments from the get-go, and I will never vote in favor of a marijuana license. Does that sound like a fair and neutral judge? <laughs> No, right? So that's just, you have to remain neutral. Don't make up your mind before the hearing. Don't engage with parties and discussions outside of that. And then uh, lastly, from a defense perspective with regard to claims, deliberations are a great thing. Even if you're a, kind of a non-controversial application where the staff report tells you all the reasons that it should be approved, we love at CSRSA when you as the deciders <coughs> have a deliberation amongst yourselves as to why or why not the application meets the criteria and i call it using sam's rule of why like maybe you maybe you get off to a little bit of a rocky start the mayor closes the public hearing and you say okay open it up for discussion i say and it's a final development plan i say mayor i'll start the discussion i'm going to vote no because i don't like it that's a bit choppy <laughs> right? but we're going to get there as a group just by asking each other well why well i don't like it because it doesn't meet our standards yeah. well now we're getting and which standards are you talking about oh the height limit the parking requirement the setback the view cord, or whatever and if you just continually do that with each other you will get to write on the record an articulation of why you're making the decision you're making and the, the magic that's happening there as well is the transcript that's being generated in defense of your decision now has on the record right the reasons for your decision so staff's there to support you in that if you have a difficult a rule to apply, it's always your prerogative to say, you know, planning director or attorney or staff, how do we interpret that rule again? How does that standard work? And they'll give you assistance in your conversations about that. (coughs) The last bullet here is just a couple of links to some training materials (coughs) that CSRSA has on quasi-judicial proceedings, and I just want to wrap it up, get out of the weeds a little bit, and who agrees with this sentiment? These days, maybe it's always been this, maybe I'm just naive to it, but there are a lot of aspects around risk that we can't control, you know, like public perceptions, what the judges might do, what the actions of the claimants are, what the legislature might be up to. But I think in terms of risk management, embracing wise leadership in those areas that you can control, right, will certainly help build faith and trust in you individually as elected officials, in the council as an institution, (coughs) and in the town as a whole. Some of the suggestions around that are things like committing to a no surprises approach, with each other and staff Um, dealing effectively with discord you're certainly going to have disagreements we can have disagreements without being disagreeable right um committing to how are your public comment periods pretty good pretty civil yeah sometimes the job may require that you practice civility even in the face of incivility i don't know how we got to this we do have situations, you know, once in a while our members face a situation where it comes, someone's coming at elected or appointed officials with the professed intention, you know, of engaging in conduct right up to the line in hopes of, you know, and it's incivil, inappropriate behavior, but they're trying to get a reaction that, from a claimant's perspective, they think may violate their First Amendment rights or something like that. So if you have troubles in that area, staff can help you with that. We have. Resources around that as well. The other thing, it doesn't sound like a risk management suggestion, but I really do think it is because there maybe is sometimes not enough of this going on. But touting your own successes, because who agrees with the sentiment that quite often what is <coughs> reported or spoken about is the things you're not doing or the things that were done wrong, right? So touting your own organization's success, your staff successes, uh, a comment such as you know, even though your rules of decorum probably say no personal attacks during public comment please don't engage in personal attacks right imagine how powerful it is to make that comment you know when someone does attack staff and even if you had a concern just say you know reminding people that we support our staff uh, we're getting great things done that helps build faith and trust in government so with that my final takeaway is in terms of risk management right if we commit to the service of the town and to the council as an institution right and in embracing those stewardships and Fiduciary responsibilities, then we'll have great success and probably lessen our, our risks along the way. So, with that, I'll open it up for any questions that you have. And again, Happy New Year. Thanks for having me up. I really appreciate the opportunity to come visit with you all.
0: Thanks, Sam. Any questions? Anyone? anyone have any questions for Sam?
8: No, I'd just like to know how many cases of willful and <laughs> wanton uh, behavior <clears throat> do you typically see, like in a year? Is this a is this a major problem
2: uh, on balance not a no not a major problem okay. uh, and we get a lot more allegations of it than, yeah. than actually survive uh, fairly deep into the litigation but we get you know more than a handful okay. where the initial complaint includes some allegations of law and 1 conduct civil rights cases
5: excessive force cases civil rights and excessive force cases in police department a lot right okay these two yeah we don't get much in the case of you know you guys you know getting have making we, have we had one in our
8: recent history
5: no we we've never had so. a council oh, yeah. or a planning commission that was self-dealing and right. you know everyone's hearts in the right place I, you yeah. know it seems Absolute, like yes but you'd be surprised in other jurisdictions <laughs> okay, yeah. people get elected <laughs> yeah. for a certain reason you know yeah. well, well, sure. sure.
2: Yeah, we don't see much of them, and the ones that are unfounded, there, there's less risk than there used to be, but there's some attorney fee shifting provisions that if you don't have uh, factual support for the allegations, those can get dismissed, and we can get the fees awarded back on those, so the plaintiff's bar is pretty cautious about that. But we do get, once in a while, as Matt mentions, it's sometimes, it's, it does involve the property rights issues or the law enforcement issues, but often at a different level on the property rights issues, it'll be, um, you know, some claim that some licensing official or some something like that administrative official was acting in a well formed manner but definitely not a big issue for us but we get some that we if it, if there was a problem then we try to get those resolved and get some training around those issues so yeah thanks very much thanks yeah. thank, you. Thank, you so much. thank you thank you thank
3: you mm-hmm. really
0: good <coughs> All right, uh, next up we have the GoVail 2045 um, Vail Mobility and Transportation Master Plan Traffics Transit Center Expansion and Emergency Technology uh, presentation with Mr. Casmel. Yes. Thank you very much. Um, Wait, or should we just schedule out every meeting? From much. now through? <laughs> <laughs>
3: 2026.
9: Uh, yeah, I, I thought these were all by request, <laughs> that's why I was here. Um, but yeah, we're living it up today, we're going to talk about traffic. Um, but as you probably know, this is our fifth time in the last six months coming to talk to you, and really these discussions are about keeping you up to date on what's going on, where we're headed, uh, so that in the next six months, uh, you won't be seeing this information for the first time while we're trying to adopt the <coughs> master plan. Um, you've seen a lot of information and as you can imagine you probably don't want to sit and and hear me talk about it for about four hours or so so we're trying to break it out into chunks but eventually it'll all come back to you in a very large document Um, and hopefully you'll at least say oh i remember them talking about that and have a little bit of understanding of what was going on Uh, so uh, as you mentioned we'll be talking about uh, traffic (coughs) emerging technology and sandwich in between uh, a little bit about the vale transportation center expansion in um, those meetings that we uh, have sat before you before, we talked about transit, bicycle and pedestrian, multimodal, uh, parking, traffic calming, I-70 impacts, and noise. Um, we do have a couple other, uh, these are the major tasks. We do have a couple others, uh, which involve loading, delivering special event logistics, and then finally implementing implementation and funding, uh, <coughs> which we'll get to over the next few months as we go through the master plan process. The expectation is that after today, um, we'll be uh, the team will be drafting a master plan, putting all this information together, putting it together in a way that we can get it online for the public to review, to go through the PC process and uh, and the council process to get the master plan adopted. And hopefully by June, uh, we will have completed that task. Uh, so first, so first today, let's talk about traffic. Um, you are, especially this is good timing because we just came through one of your, are in and been through one of our busiest times during the season. Um, and for our, for our existing traffic, one, two of the biggest indicators for how busy we are are the Mainvale South Roundabout right here uh, and the Westvale North Roundabout. Those, those are roundabouts that we uh, tend to try and get traffic counts on to understand how much volume of traffic is going through there and what can we expect uh, in the future, and how can we gauge that? So we utilize these as kind of our thresholds. Uh, We do not currently have permanent counters at these locations, which is one thing that we will likely be recommending in the future, so that we understand what kind of traffic volumes you have, how often that occurs, is that occurring more often, what are the peaks like, Uh, but when we do count them, and over the last dozen years or so, Uh, We typically see the the traffic volume at Mainvale South at a peaking in a peak hour of about 3,000 vehicles trying to go through there uh, at one time. We did have a larger peak uh, back in 2012, and that was in March, uh, I believe it was during one of the the Burton uh, snowboard events, and we we actually hit 3,600. So that's kind of a gauge as to how many vehicles would be going through that Mainvale South roundabout and again, we're usually around that 3,000 mark. And as we exceed that, it certainly gets uh, extremely congested. Uh, Westville North uh, is less than that. It's in the 2,000 to 2,500. We, uh, we have a count back in 2004 that had 2,500. We actually haven't hit that since. But then again, those, these are sporadic counts that we're doing. We try and pick busier times of year. But it certainly depends on snow conditions, uh, asphalt conditions and uh, holiday time periods. Um, so, so in the past 20 years or, or longer, how do we ma- How have we best managed our growth? How do we keep that at bay? Uh, one, we certainly installed the roundabouts over 20 years ago. But certainly, our Vail Transit is our biggest uh, positive benefit to number of trips that go through that those roundabouts and along our roads. Uh, as you probably know, we take about three million. Uh, passengers per year on Vail Transit alone. Uh, Another key factor is parking fees. We certainly try and discourage people from driving in solo um, by having parking fees that can offset costs for transit costs. Uh, We wanna encourage people to carpool and take shuttles and take take transit uh, so we can minimize congestion like you see in the photos off to the right. Uh, We've done capital improvements. Uh, just in the last dozen years or so, one of the biggest ones that was accomplished was the sandstone underpass. So when we're talking about trips, where we look at those thresholds, you know, in a peak hour at the Mainvale South Roundabout, again, they're peaking, you know, typically about 3,000 on a busy day. Well, the sandstone underpass could have taken as much as 400 away from both Mainvale and Westvale. <laughs> so, and when I say both, I mean. 200 at Mainvale or 200 at Westvale, a combination of both. So that, that's increasing the capacity for those roundabouts, and that's why that was put in, not, not only for the benefits to transit and pedestrian connectivity. Um, a, we continue to <clears throat> provide improvements to transit, one being the lines of transit center about uh, 10 years ago, uh, adding the Westvale Express, anything we can do to get people to get on the bus and not drive into uh, the parking structure is a benefit to our traffic overall. Um, we most recently completed the Vale Health and Mindset improvements that uh, improve traffic flow to the lines in the lion's head direction. So what does it look like 20 years from now? Again, these are projections. Um, typically what would happen in a, a typical suburban urban area, uh, there would be a growth factor applied per year out 20 years to take a guesstimate on how, what could traffic look like in 20 years. Uh, that's typically 1% to 2% per year over a period of, say, 20 years. Uh, what, what the town of Vale has been doing, and this, this started uh, with the adoption of the 2000 Vale Master, Transportation Master Plan, is because we knew developments that were coming through the entitlement process, ones that were being looked at, uh, we knew the type, size, and locations of them. We thought it would be better suited for the town of Vale to actually identify potential projects locate them so we can put them into traffic models and better understand what the traffic would be. So we're continuing that uh, approach in this particular uh, transportation master plan. And what that looks like as a comparison, in 2009, uh, we were looking at an additional, and this is all peak hour, and you can think of it as going through the main roundabout, but going through the town of Vale uh, as an additional 2,800 uh, new vehicle trips at that peak hour. Uh, obviously there's been development we've had uh, a lot of developments completed since that time period Uh, and now this year now and and, uh, currently projecting out another 20 years we're projecting about 1400 vehicles peak hour trips now going back to that 2800 because all those developments haven't happened like the ones listed below Evervale the Westville commercial uh, the (coughs) Timber Ridge development as it was thought of uh, 15 years ago uh, (coughs) although we didn't receive those 2800 trips um, and that's how we that's how we approach projecting traffic so if all the developments that we know of um, or potentially are considering at this point occur we could potentially see 1400 additional vehicle trips in that peak hour
6: so in the housing does that include West Middle Creek for example or at this point? Yes
9: so the housing currently because that that's you know is soon to be going through entitlements that's that's within that and we do take a significant reduction uh, for for housing uh, because we know there's a big transit component and the the trip numbers that we use come directly from uh, the the number of trip vehicle trips we see coming out of timber ridge today uh, and that's how kind of all the housing developments have have looked at we say well what's going on at timber ridge today that's probably what's going to be happening in the future at West Middle Creek or Mainvale residences and so forth. Um, so I get, like I mentioned, those key developments that are the bulk of that, those projects are Evervale. So if and when, if and when that occurs, uh, Westvale commercial, similar to what's what, what was uh, adopted in the Westvale master plan. Lion's Head, which certainly could include the civic area plan and other developments in that area and then housing, as we just discussed. So what does that do to the town of Vale? What, what do we look like today as far as traffic, and what do we look like? What may might we look like in 2045? So, you probably many of you probably heard the terminology of level of service, um, and that is the graphic to the right, uh, which basically goes from an A to an F. And as you can guess, A is great; it's free flow traffic. There's no delay, and F is not so great. Uh, it means you're stuck in traffic for several minutes or longer. Uh, just to get through the roundabout, as you might have seen uh, this last week, uh, if you're coming from Vale Village. Um, so after an analysis was done, we do analysis of what's existing based on existing traffic counts, uh, and all of our frontage road intersections basically operate at a level of C, um, except the Main Vale roundabout south, which currently, based on our, uh, our our traffic counts that we had done, is uh, operating at level service E. Again, those traffic counts. Are sporadic; they're not permanent counters. So it's when we when we did those counts. Uh, but we, again, we do do them at busy times of year. Uh, and then the Vale Village parking entrance and Vale Valley Drive; <coughs> those intersections uh, technically operate a level service F. So going into the future, when we add those additional fourteen hundred peak hour trips, we add that to a traffic model where people are starting and where they're going to. Um, and again. Most of our intersections now are still at a level service C or D, which is acceptable. We're we're generally shooting for C or D or better. Um, And the intersections listed are the ones uh, East east and West Lines in Circle, Vilt Center Drive, and Veltra Station Center uh, begin to operate at level service E. So it just gets more congested.
0: So I have a question about this. What is level of service A? It's a weight of like zero. Zero. Okay. Zero and What is the level of signs. service F? It is so, a weight of what?
9: So in this, it, it's two different. It's, it depends on, a, on a, if you're at a stop sign or a signal and a roundabout. And for a roundabout, which is our biggest delay, you're in that 80 second or a minute and 20 seconds okay. or greater.
0: And so when we say we're at level F, what percentage of the time out of 365 days a year are we at level F? Because... Yes, I, there are days when we are very busy, and it is obviously not optimal, Right. but it seems like, overwhelmingly, that's not the experience.
9: Right, and that, that's exactly the case. And so that, that when they plug in these numbers, those are from actual traffic counts that we took at a busy time. Let's say sometime last week. You know, it, it wasn't last week, it was a couple of years ago, but during the same time period. Um, so it is a time period Of an entire year, and I think those—that's one of the reasons we would like to have permanent counters so we could start saying, you know, everybody. It seems like it's been—it's busier now than it was 15 years ago. But is that because it's busy more often, or is it peaking higher? And those are the things we don't—we actually couldn't tell you from actual data. And I think—and that's where I think having that information, we would be able to provide thresholds and say, well, at what point do you do certain improvements to 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 make the level of service uh, better. You, you, can, you, can, you can handle level service F, you know, for the holiday week potentially, but well maybe, well once that happens every other weekend, well maybe there should be an improvement. Right. And that's things that can be further discussed.
0: And I assume there's traffic counters that work year round, right? I feel yes. like the ones I see are typically like the little double strips and I'm sure those don't work in the winter because right. of snow plows and all that. But
9: yeah, there's traffic counters. You can get a ca- camera. You can we 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 piloted some cameras from Bosch, which the cameras are still up, but they had some technology that they were working on to get us permanent traffic counters. Uh, you can do some in pavement traffic counters. The roundabouts themselves get difficult because typically we want to see where people are going, which leg did they come from, where are they headed, because that mm-hmm. gives us more information on why is the why is it uh, more congested in one leg versus another. Um, but it might be something where we can simplify that and say, well, let's at least get a, a counter underneath the underpass or on the Vail Village leg and the lines of legs, and that it won't show 3,000, but it'll give us a gauge of, of how busy those roundabouts mm-hmm. are and how often.
7: So just to understand, the roundabout automatically puts you in like to a C because of the slowdown, and is that my now, understanding? A
9: level service C at a roundabout and, I didn't put the i didn't put the seconds up here because then it, it starts bigger questions but it's it's in the 35 to 50 seconds range
7: yeah i'm just wondering what the different i mean lover or, or roundabouts i'm just wondering about D cell turning lanes as opposed mm-hmm. to roundabouts specifically the one that just sits west of here it's, it's just using that as a model um, i'm wondering if the roundabout is the best solution or it, if a D cell turning lanes better in some of these situations. Uh,
9: I, I think at major intersections, like at the interchanges around about certain, right? Where, absolutely. But, but at,
7: yeah, at uh, secondary, s-
9: at current as, stop intersections, East lines at circle or, or further down the road, then, you know, maybe you look at some, something else. We, we do have uh, turn lanes <coughs> at certain intersections that help alleviate right. that. Uh, some delays and more from a safety perspective from some rear-end crashes um, but certainly we look at every alternative when we're looking at intersections most most communities would look at signals but we, we tend not to look at signals
7: yeah not to get mired in a specific case but the one that just sit just west of here uh, I, I don't know if that was for future development of Solaris or if it's pull traffic down road away from the health center because of sheer volume we couldn't do a cell lane turning into a westbound cell lane turning into the health center but, the, but that one's just a head scratcher there what how effective is it uh,
9: and, and which where, he's which talking room? about the, the one right in front in, of uh, the evergreen. hospital
7: in evergreen the evergreen, evergreen lodge yeah so yeah,
9: evergreen. yeah yeah oh why we put the roundabout there <clears throat> so uh, the roundabout there was really to handle the traffic left turns in and out of the hospital and this location there was not enough room to put it right here, which is would have been the ideal location, uh, just where the helipad was. Is where then we were
7: again back. that begs back to the question about turn lanes. What? Uh, so because we have four lanes on either side. I mean, total lanes. I was just yeah. uh, I don't want to get bogged down in this conversation specifically calling it out. I just wanted to know the origins of and and where we're at. If it if roundabouts automatically put us into a C is that the most effective approach i understand that we love roundabouts at our main intersections they keep traffic flowing we don't have stop starts i understand those fully so
10: i mean our current policy is is to maintain a level of service c and instead of c and going to d or e a lot of urban areas will be in that level service e but um because of our guest services and like you said travis we can drop you know the majority of the time we're in c or a B and C, you know, yeah. even during our peak times. And that's a, that's an experience. I mean, you can go to Aspen, the entrance to Aspen, um, quite the experience. F, even Eagle, yeah. what by they're having, it's really by um, I, you know, I think it's, it's actually one of our <clears throat> benefits. And, and, you know, we don't have an issue that people complain about traffic in Vail. Um, and it's because you're probably kind of being a little proactive, but it's also because I think you're also dealing a lot with with your transit and moving people differently. but.
3: Okay. No. Thanks. I
10: mean, I mean, it's it's played well for Vail and being on the front end versus the back end.
9: And at that, this particular intersection, we we looked at turn lanes. There were existing turn lanes. We looked at through, two two lanes through traffic with turn lanes, uh, and the wait times, um, the delay times, just uh, just kept getting worse and worse. Especially for the afternoons when the lines of parking structures exiting. In your turn, you were trying to make a left into the hospital, right? Like
0: an ambulance trying to make a left out of there, mm-hmm. because there was so much traffic going from the Lionshead right. structure east. The ambulance ended up going east to the roundabout anyway, anyway. to then go that way. So this, it's just
9: yeah. But it, at any intersection, we certainly we start with the simplest, and then move on from there.
1: But Tom, fair to say, we're <clears throat> that's been a historical issue. We're not using lights. So, traffic lights have not been part of our tools.
9: Right. Right. We're not recommending signals uh, (laughs) differently, other than the the crosswalks that we've already installed. Uh, So, as as we move (coughs) towards, and again, this is a 20 year plan, as things hit thresholds and we see the need for improvement, um, these these are the projects that have been identified, and these are. For the most part, we're, have already been identified in the 2009 master plan. It doesn't mean that we need to go do them in the next five years. It just means to do as we, as we move forward and we and we have more congestion. These are identified projects that could be helpful. Um, and if you look at the picture in the upper right-hand corner, uh, one of the major improvements that would help both the Westvale and Mainvale roundabouts would be getting two lanes in the northbound direction underneath the underpasses. Uh, this would help that volume of flow get to where they want to go and ease the congestion on the, on the opposite side of the, of the underpass. Um, and if that picture in the right-hand side, that we probably wouldn't do a, a roundabout as large as that's showing, but that is showing basically the same size roundabout that's on the south. Um, but it allows two lanes of traffic, particularly in the afternoon, which is our, our heaviest volumes. Uh, to travel <coughs> north, wrap all the way around, and then exit or or get onto the uh, westbound I-70 on-ramp, which is our busiest movement. Uh, and that's when we do traffic counts. We underst- we want to understand what are the actual movements that are occurring. Uh, we actually ha- wound up, by default, doing a trial of this uh, in the summer of 2007, 16, 17, when we built the Sandstone Underpass. I don't know if you recall how bad the traffic got on, on the South Frontage Road when we closed uh, a section of the south to build the underpass uh, there were significant weights we're talking 30 minutes plus weights uh, and we did a trial underneath the main veil vale underpass and we put up those candlesticks and allowed two lanes of traffic to go through and around and up onto the interstate and we saw 22 percent improvement in, in capacity just by doing that and that's with very narrow lanes going through there so people were going slower um, so I, I think if we were able to to do that in the future uh, with typical 11-foot lanes, um, I think we would see probably more, you know, a 30 to 35 percent improvement, and uh, really help the congestion that comes out of Vale Village parking <coughs> structure. Uh, so, that, and that's that's been in there since 2009, and, and it's certainly a recommendation that could be implemented uh, in the future to ease traffic uh, when we get to the threshold. Um, as I mentioned, left-turn lanes have always been in there as we hit thresholds where uh, left turns become difficult along any. Uh, intersection along the front end roads, uh, those could be implemented. Um, there are additional roundabouts that could be implemented uh, and potentially are planned. Uh, the Westvale master plan uh, suggests there should be a roundabout, uh, one major access <coughs> into the commercial area, uh, which would be beneficial uh, to that area. Evervale contemplates a roundabout. Uh, on its east end to basically combined kind of West Lines Head, Circle, and West Forest Road and to accommodate some of their parking structure traffic uh, potential. Uh, east Lines and Circle, uh, <coughs> that is, the East Lines at Circle South Frontage, that is a, can be a difficult movement for our in-town bus to make. It obviously makes that very frequently and can cause delays uh, so that uh, becomes more difficult and especially when Evervale or if Evervale gets built uh, that'll there'll be a significant amount more traffic passing through that area uh, so one potential is to put a roundabout there it's very tight um, but it is something that should be looked at uh, as we uh, as additional developments come through like like an Evervale. Uh, the Vale Transportation Center on Vale Valley Drive Uh, This is obviously our most congested area (coughs) currently uh, out on that leg of Frontage Road. Uh, And one of the options has been contemplated has been to put a roundabout at Vail Valley Drive and South Frontage Road. One, it cleans up kind of the irregularity of that intersection. Uh, Two, provides the ability for even people who are coming out of the parking structure, you could make a right to go left. Uh, And Vail Valley and traffic coming up Vail Valley Drive uh, would just go through that roundabout and through traffic on the South Frontage Road would be, also be able to do that. Um, wh- one option in the 2009 master plan was if it does not fit in this location in the bottom right and uh, <coughs> graphic shows a single lane roundabout in that location and it's still really tight, if it's determined that that, does, that it needs to be a two lane or it, or it just doesn't fit, uh, one option in 2009 was, well, you could push that further west to Uh, the west side of Ford Park where there would be more room to provide that. Um, Again, this would force people with out-of-the-way travel, uh, similar to what we have here at Bell Health roundabout. Um, But it is an option going into the future uh, if we we need to uh, make some improvements. Uh, One other option that uh, hasn't been discussed much, um, just internally, uh, is uh, improving the access at the entrance to the Ford Ford park lot um, <clears throat> there is a potential to put a, a smaller <laughs> roundabout there and I think that would likely only come into play in conjunction if we did put uh, f- head in front of your parking along Ford Park uh, and it would act as a traffic calming measure and also as a better access into Ford Park um, and that was a, a parking scenario that we had shown a few months ago during uh, der- when we talked about parking <clears throat> um, and as I mentioned, permanent permanent traffic counters. I think that would be a great short-term installation, so that we can we can monitor our traffic. So we understand is this is three thousand our peak, or is it, or or is thirty six hundred our peak, or or are we hitting it more often? Just so we understand uh, when we're hitting those, and we can identify when should we start thinking about some of these larger projects to uh, provide some benefit uh, to our traffic.
6: One other thing, that's, uh, it's infrequent, but when Dow Junction closes, and we, we saw that last summer, we've seen it in the wintertime as well, and all of a sudden every, every side road, Chamonix Lane, everything is jammed up. Is there anything that needs to be considered in terms of capital improvements, uh, some of these things that might help us? You know, um,
10: the long, long-term solution is improvements in Dowd. And and actually having some redundancy in doubt and so there's been a feasibility <coughs> done um, where you need to build more interstate lanes and have almost a frontage road so if one lane goes down you can shift some traffic so you have at least a little bit of a relief valve but right now you know when something goes down we're
6: stuck and then it just we happens. don't have a, a some way to filter that somehow for resi- for the residential versus the
10: you know the only way to do that would it's it's more of a management thing is really be very much on it and and please try to get down yeah. there and not let people try to snake up the ramp and just shut it down and just start moving that back out okay that's probably the one thing on roundabouts is once they sometimes they get so congested they they almost constrict and start tightening like a snake and then you have to slowly start to and move traffic out to to unwind the the traffic um, yeah. and and that, that's probably the biggest one um, it's getting down there and just
9: starting to move that back out and you'd have to go to mainville but you're not going to go through doubt
6: yeah Good.
9: yeah I think I think it's a management thing like just like when Vale pass closes getting the word out further away from bail to have less traffic coming into bail so um, other options other than capital projects or maybe in conjunction with capital projects is <clears throat> travel demand management, uh, certainly trying to manage how people get to Vail vale is, is a game changer. Um, you know, everybody who drives into Vail, whether they're carpooling or single occupant, they generally have to park somewhere, <coughs> whether it's at an accommodation, at a workplace, or in a public parking place. Uh, so there's certainly some things that we can control and try to encourage people to use transit or shuttle or carpool. Uh, and one of the biggest things we have is we do have the parking, public parking rates and availability. You know How much parking is available? How much does it cost? At what times of year? Uh, certainly you, we've seen some uh, improvements as a result of some changes in the winter rates <coughs> Uh, when, if we should go to summer parking charges, and I think you know, our goal is to manage how much traffic comes in here, and how many people park, and how do we encourage people to use transit instead. Uh, and so I think that's the consideration when we're talking about changing rates for the winter, or starting to, to charge in the summer, uh, and that, that's a tool for, uh, for us to use, but for a, a separate discussion, is if we would ever want to uh, make those changes. Uh, I think the biggest opportunity we have in the near future uh, is one, our own transit, and two is the Eagle Valley Transit Authority, the new uh, regional transit authority with Eagle. Um, As you can see on the chart on the right, and this is information that we shared with you earlier, uh, 60% of the traffic eventually (coughs) will be in a fare-free zone. That includes Vail and Avon to Edwards. 30% of that traffic is just in Vail, and these are people who are parking in our parking structures. So, and as I identified earlier, that's a pretty large percentage. Uh, just the people who are parking in our parking structure, 30% of them already are, are from Vail, and a lot of them probably have opportunities to ride on transit instead of driving. And then once Eagle Valley Transit Authority uh, enacts or starts the fare free zone down from, to Avon and Edwards, um, that's another 30% that is parking in our parking structure. So how much of that can we capture to get onto transit? It, it could be a small amount and it can make a big difference on our parking and also on our traffic. Uh, so that'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the next few years. But again, the best <clears throat> thing we can do is make, make transit easy, free and frequent, uh, particularly from larger developments like we're doing with our housing uh, developments is make sure that they have the opportunity to take uh, easy free and frequent uh, buses in and out of uh Vale and Lionshead. Uh, regional transit, um, if you look at Denver and Summit County, you know, they have the ability to utilize uh bus staying, snow staying Pegasus. Um, that's about twenty-five percent of the people who are parking in the parking structures. So supporting that and making sure that we support CDOT when they uh, as they are increasing uh, the, the amount, number of routes and buses that come up into the mountains. I think that's going to be important in the future, and encourage that. And ultimately, certainly the big pie in the sky uh, project would be getting some sort of rail or AGS uh, up to high speed rail, up to, to Vail, uh, certainly would help mitigate how, uh, how many people would become driving in their own vehicles to Vail and parking. Other Other options that have been discussed in the past is you know, at some point again having uh, once we hit those thresholds for a number of vehicles that are traveling in, into vale can we encourage better people to get on and off at east vale so they're not coming into they're coming from the front range can they not come to the main vale exit and are dealing with that congestion they can get off and on at east vale especially if they're just parking the valeville's parking structure and they potentially could avoid that so getting that word out managing it appropriately uh, because east vale interchange has more leftover capacity than Main veil interchange. Um, smart technology, uh, parking apps. We've talked about parking apps. How do we coordinate our <coughs> public parking availability with private parking availability to make sure that people, one, know where they're going and know where there's available parking and uh, so they're not just <coughs> driving around looking for parking. Um, using a technology like, like we have uh, Ride veil which tells you when and where a bus is coming, how frequent it's coming, how best to get to and around uh, traveling in Vail. Uh, Continue supporting and utilizing CoTrip, the statewide website that allows people to understand what the congestion is like along I-70. I think that has been a a great improvement uh, over the last several years. Uh, It just provides that driver expectancy so they can plan their trip appropriately. And as you move to that, that yellow box to the right, so if we are able to, again, this comes down to travel demand management, if, if in concert with some of the capital improvements, if we're able to reduce just 15% of the traffic that comes from that Vale Village leg into the main roundabout, we Roundabout, that roundabout would then serve at a level service D, which be, would be acceptable. Uh, again, that's a theoretical... Uh, number Uh, and the same thing at Westville North if we were able to get travel demand by travel demand management to get uh, 10 percent less traffic into that roundabout uh, we would hit that level of service D so there's certainly things we can do not only capital improvements but also uh, from a management standpoint
11: I have a quick question on the buses that just came to me has there ever been talk of like the Westville Express is great but it's you know it does for people who park there, right? From out of the valley is the goal. Has there ever been, with that slide that says 33% are coming from Internal Vale, has there ever been an idea of an express bus from like, where people actually live? You know what I mean? Like, I'm in Intermountain, for example, and there's a lot of stops from Intermountain to here. And so, has there ever been a thought of like a transit center Matterhorn Intermountain Express? That's it. You know, like I don't need the, some of the stops are, and then same thing for Middle Creek, Timber Ridge, Chamonix. Does that idea make sense? So a version of an express, but for Vale locals.
10: Um, The south side's a little more difficult, um, but, you know, do you increase frequency, which right now if you go down to the south side, it's kind of on 30-minute frequency. Can we get to 15-minute frequency, which actually gives you more movement, which it may not be as expressive um, because we do loop the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, Now you've just, way back when, we used to have a Westvale South, Westvale North, and they went down and, and came back, and they never connected the community the other way. And so there was a lot of discussion, well, we, I need to get over here, I need to get over there. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've looped them, but as we look at increases and we do provide additional buses, are we providing so many additional buses is it better just to higher better frequency during the peak times like the westville express which then it's not so much i need to get that three o'clock bus or that three thirty bus i'm just going to go to the transportation center i know there's a bus leaving in less than you know five to ten minutes and so we have I looked think- at that but it, it doubles the amount of um, drivers and, and buses we need and so just trying to understand when we do that on the south side with regard to um, all the employee housing we have been talking about, how are we going to serve that? Because <clears throat> we come kind of underneath that, and you still have Middle Creek, Solar Vale, Red Sandstone, and um, residents of Mainville to serve. Mm-hmm. And so, looking at an employee um, shuttle, um, West Middle Creek is a little bit problematic because we can probably get a bus stop going one way, but not coming back. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's just a lot tighter than, than like Timber Ridge. And so if you were coming back from Safeway, you're going to carry your groceries from one of the farther bus stops, uh, Red Sandstone or, or Middle Creek. But um, we are looking at that, and once those get built out, so two years from now, um, you'd probably be looking at additional bus service uh, on the north, at least for those employee housing pieces. Tim-
11: To me, though, the thought process is not so much frequency. It's more like I can drive here in eight minutes. The bus is you can drive here in eight minutes. The bus is doesn't matter how quickly, how often it comes with all of those stops. It's 24, right? So I think the idea would be how do we get that 24 down to anywhere from 8 to 12?
10: And it's a combination. So it's it's eight minutes. But if you're going to pay $30 for parking, right, or 24 minutes or 20 minutes, you know, you know, and so that's the, the bigger one, and that's why I said it's harder <clears throat> on the south side. Is which, and we, you know, which stops do you get to pick, and which stops do you not get to pick? Because t- to shoot something less than 24 minutes down, we're st- skipping stops. So, you know, are we only staying on the Farnie Road? And that's the ad- advantage of the Westville Express mm-hmm. on the north side. It doesn't go back behind into the neighborhood. It just goes straight on the Farnie Road. So it's it's what we call line haul and that's um, similar eastville we're looking at that you know like the the hiker shuttle is a lion hall it didn't go into the neighborhood it stayed on on bighorn road and we were able to provide that better service so um like i said the south side is a little harder because most of the people live a little bit further into the neighborhood than on the frontage road you know or the or the destinations but we'll continue to look at that because i think you know i I don't think we'll ever get down to eight minutes you know but (laughs) Um, You know, can we get 15 or 18, you know, versus 24? But you're going to be skipping stops, and you might have to walk farther to that bus.
0: I mean, I think it's kind of like the subways, right? In Chicago or New York, you have, like, the whatever, whatever the lines are called. In (laughs) Chicago, there are colors, right, the orange line. But then there would be, like, the Orange Line Express, right, and it would – In New York, right, like, it would skip, like, 54 blocks, right? Like, if you were in the south and you wanted to go up to Columbia.
11: Like, I would argue we could skip all of Cascade the Spruce Creek underpass. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. It's just a thought.
4: No, no, no. (laughs) To get to Intermountain (laughs) (laughs) fast.
11: Well, yeah, not just Intermountain. All the – we know where actual locals live, and we know where they don't.
0: Yeah. That would be the goal.
7: So, I have a quick question. This, these stats, this data here is year round.
9: Yeah, this is based on
0: a year
7: and okay, using. because I would, question I'd have, I almost, I've been <coughs> reading the parking numbers a little bit uh, lately, but I'd love to see a breakout summer to winter at minimum, because oh, okay. the one thing i uh, This is
9: winter, sorry. This is, this only, is only winter. winter is only we have we have the data for summer and winter this is this is only winter weekday and weekends
7: okay but over the
9: whole entire period it's not it's not a it's not holiday it's not it's over the entire winter
7: okay and then yeah i'd almost like to see that date i don't know if you can break it down to during the ski season monday through sunday um because I'd like to see because I know that number goes up for Denver Metro significantly on Friday Saturdays. Um,
9: and Saturdays. And I think that was the surprising thing when we did this big day. And we, ha- we have a lot. We have this broken down more, and I think uh, we presented that to council in August. Um, but this is weekday, weekend. The weekend is Friday to Sunday. Uh, and surprisingly, the Denver Metro, although it shows 6 and 8%, there's definitely a portion of Summit County that is part of that because the way, the way it calculates it is if a person <coughs> from Denver stopped and got coffee in Summit County then they, that for more than five minutes, then it said that person's from Summit County. So there's a little bit of, especially in those uh, particular locations, uh, a combination of, of how that is. But that, that, that was, I think, one of the big takeaways from this is saying how beneficial the fare free zone would be just for that thirty percent that's coming from Avon Edwards, and how can we boost uh, veil transit to, to lower that number down because the reality is if you, if you are if you can get ten to twenty percent of it wasn't even that much uh, of people <coughs> to take the, the free bus, uh, then we, we may not have a front a parking issue anymore
7: but in turn you. Just based on that conversation, um, your Edwards Avon, that you, you don't really have the ability to separate out whether or not those are guest tourists that are staying down valley that are parking.
9: And we, so, with all the data we have, we have the ability. And again, it's not very specific, but we have the ability to identify commuters, people who are. Doing this regularly for I forget what the threshold is a few weeks right so hey, hey, this it identifies this vehicle or cell phone is doing this commute every every Monday through Friday for the last three weeks they are a commuter so okay it kind of buckets them
7: yeah say, I, I mean gosh. just try not yeah I, I'm sure we can go down a deep dark black hole of splitting out uh, parking stats. The other thing I want to get back to is. As far as the roundabout conversation, um, obviously all that design, money, capitalization, all that, round, uh, the frontage road north and south don't belong in town of Vale. that's all CDOT property, that's all dot approvals, correct? Correct. But okay. it's our money to build them. Yeah, it's our money. It's our money to build them. Unless and we can get and, some um, grants. What's
9: that? Unless we can get some grants like we do with the underpass. Right. And dot paid for 70%. That's
7: no I just one other question uh, Every available entitlements have those all expired yes yes um, and last small question Greg maybe you can answer where did the flashing lights on the stop signs go at the top of blue cow chute they're on both directions I did we have to remove them because of the all just people not like flashers because that, yeah, is that was a, the case what
10: that was the case we we have
7: We've created a safety issue by not having those there.
10: No, we have a larger sign and flashing signs and we were directed not to install. By, so.
7: by this group?
10: Well, not this group because you're a new group, but a group that sits behind this counter, yes. Previous council.
12: I think I'd agree with Reed. I'd like to look at
10: that. So, so if you actually go by the one by going east, you can look, there's a
7: battery pack on the back of that sign. It was Harry getting through there the last two weeks. I'll tell you that. What's that? It, it was a little dicey getting through there the last two weeks.
4: Chief I mean. probably
7: feels the same way I do coming up Blue Cow Shoot. Um, so just – I don't want to go – that was a meeting for, or a matter for the mayor that I was going to bring up later, but thanks. Just want to ask while you're here. Okay.
12: Um, have you guys looked at doing a – is there a signage in the – parking structure in the village center saying go, village parking structure saying go right to go to Denver? So what's that? Is the there a sign in the structure or outside the structure saying turn right to get to I-70 East? <clears throat>
10: um, there, there used to be, and it used to be across the way. It's uh, not there anymore. Um, there was the one that said I-70 East. Um, Oughtn't we maybe encourage that? And, and that I mean, if know, we, if we're looking back, at like. used to have the four way, I mean, we would almost force yeah. that direction and they would go and start turning around in all the different driveways and come back at us and going through the intersection that you just talked about. Um, But there is a sign that does say that. Okay. Um, It used to be, I'll have to double check. Um,
12: Yeah, I mean, it just, it seems like if we're trying to alleviate the problem at the Mainvale Roundabout, then sending them that way to Denver and we've got access capacity there, we should probably send them that way.
9: Um, So as we were talking about transit and increasing transit, obviously with uh, an increase in transit from the Eagle Valley Transit Authority, potential increase in transit in, to Vale. Um, there's there's been discussion for many years that the Vale Transportation Center already is overwhelmed at at busy times uh, with buses, and so we have got we have gotten a grant uh, to do some planning and design for the Vale Transportation Center and an expansion expansion. Uh, so this master plan just kind of highlighted based on potential transit routes in Vail, uh, Eagle Valley Transit Authority, what Bustang Pegasus uh, expansion is looking like and looking into the future. Uh, they estimated about how many bus bays would be ideal to have at the Vale Transportation Center in order to efficiently uh, manage that traffic. Um, and you can see here uh, 18 to 20 bus bays uh, to accommodate the, that additional tra- traffic. Uh, in total, with also being able to accommodate 15 <coughs> to 20 uh, taxi, shuttle, and Uber-type vehicles. Uh, and just kind of at a really high level to understand what, what would that even fit on this property? Not to say that we're proposing one of these designs, that'll be a whole nother process, but we want to understand what does that potentially look like on this site, uh, assuming this site may, uh, stays as the Bell Transportation Center. Uh, and concept A, Uh, fits that program uh, and provides the ability for each uh, bus bay to operate as its own route to come and go as it pleases. Uh, And concept B, obviously less impact, um, operates more similar to how we operate today where you do stack up buses and bus routes at times, uh, so you really only have nine independent Uh, bus bays in, in, instead of 18. So those are things that we'd be looking at in the future as we move towards planning and design of an expansion of the rail vale Transportation Center, but we thought it would be good to just get it out there now and say, this is what a potential impact could be if we uh, expanded the Transportation uh, Center to meet these these needs. So if you look at Concept A, the green little rectangles are buses. Uh, the orange are the taxi Uber shuttles. Uh, the concept A would be removing the existing transportation center <coughs> in the museum and moving that uh, to the south of the existing bus bays on new structure. Um, that could provide some opportunity below it if you were building structure there. Um, the light pink is just not precluding but allowing for any future type of overpass connection to a future, uh, whether it be uh, high-speed rail or whether it be more of a bus rapid transit that only goes along the interstate, similar to what you see on I-25. Um, just that, just not necessarily would build it, but just doesn't preclude it. Um, and in concept B, was trying to keep uh, the Vail Trans- Station, Transportation Center building as it is and the museum as it is, and double uh, doubles up on those bus bays uh, by, pushing to the south, again, also adding some structure to the south that provides some opportunities uh, potentially below grade.
7: Has there any, been any conversation about a concept C that would maybe separate regional transportation from local to different sites, say, Lionshead parking structure accommodating, bus tank, Denver buses, eco, and then all of our local being in the main, it just looks like you're running there's a certain amount that you can get in this five pound bag Um, so
9: yeah and all that certainly would be looked at as a part of a more detailed planning and design (coughs) effort with the transportation center this was more saying these are the types of numbers we're looking at into the future could we possibly get it here in different types of configurations (laughs) there's certainly lots of other options Um, it's just this was kind of saying that in most cases, everyone is, the, we are the end of all of our regional and our own local transit routes, the Vail Transportation Center, uh, which then uh, complicates the, the effort. But you know, if, if lines of Trans Center wound up being the place where ECO ended or uh, took their breaks, then maybe an expansion there is, is more worthwhile
7: all right thanks yeah
0: and i had a just a question about this as it ties into kind of the budget conversation that we had whenever we were talking budget any of those numerous times in the fall and we were talking about allocating you know just kind of starting putting some money in in a reserve for potential redevelopment of the structure or whatever major renovations whatever that might be and just kind of trying to understand you know what the scope would be at Vail versus what it would be at Lion's Head and how you know how you know how could either of these concepts fit with a potential public private part like what if we're a hundred million dollars short so we need to stack condominiums on it or a hotel on it like how do all of these things kind of fit together and you know because they're they're long-range projects you know they it's big dollars and there are just lots you know when we talk about the vale village structure needing work like i don't know what that means right like i drive through big cities i see lots of condos built on lots of parking structures all over the place and i imagine every 50 years they're not like well we're going to lift the building up and redo the parking underneath and then just plop it back
10: yeah down. And, and and vale village <clears throat> is in, in better just designed better it's built like a foundation right you know you still have and, and all those that you see there's at least a building protecting the whole parking garage most likely um so it actually weathers better you know it, one at first it's older and it is actually in better shape than lions said lions acts much more like just a bridge and as you go up and down i-70 i mean they're already starting to rebuild bridges in metro denver that were right. built in the early 60s late 50s you know um, and so that's what we need to look at. Um, also, Vale Village was renovated in 1990. So some of the structural issues and, and some of the, that whole transit deck was re, re-topped. They, so, you know, you chop off what they call the topping slab, redo the reinforcing, and then pour that, that deck back in. So um, we will, um, not only from a transportation standpoint, and a functionality standpoint, what are all the options? But I think at the same time, you are wanting to find out what's the remaining useful life and what improvements <clears throat> are we looking at down the road?
0: Yeah, and, what, and what's the opportunity and how do you know the transportation, how does the transportation component blend with the locals experience and the guest experience and an opportunity for, you know, restaurants or retail or housing or condos or right. w- whatever it might be so that i mean it's just a big chunk of land at you know it's the it's essentially the first pedestrian experience you have yeah when you're in town
10: and there was one proposal um to kind of redevelop the front side and, and rearrange some things mm-hmm. um, that took a lot of opposition from the neighbors across the street but you know Times change. I mean, you know, especially if you're trying to fund something. Um, you
3: know, or I mean,
0: is there a way to get more parking? You know, just I think back to kind of the the traffic counting, just understanding just as much data as we can get around both structures. Right. And,
10: and and that's the same thing. We've got a meeting here with, um, I guess EVTA. I was going to say Eco, but <laughs> kind of be both. But just you know, where are your numbers? So you know. Where are your people getting off? Are they getting off alliances? How many get off alliances? How many get off at of Vale Village? Um, understanding that because even if, they, if we, they went to another stop, if we then have to pick them all up and bring them out to this, to where they really want to be ultimately, that puts more burden on our system. And so the, the thing about transit is trying to make it as seamless as possible. And, and like I said, you know, can you reduce the amount of time it takes to go from point A to point B? And if you have to make transfers or do a bunch of extra little stops. People just don't want to take transit, so. Um.
9: But, uh, but I think it's concepts like this that'll, that are, you know, there's a list of considerations and we've talked about some of them today, but this is one of those things we are saying. You know, as we go into that planning and design phase next year at some point, here's, here's a big list of things that we need to consider and just one of those is the life, is the parking structure itself. Should we be building on it or uh, adjacent to it? Um, Other things are, you know, is there another home? Should this be kind of split as you had mentioned? I mean, the stops could be still served, but so there's a host of things that need to be considered, but at least at a very high level, this is kind of the size we're talking about, whether it's all here or not. I don't think it's, that's probably as from a mass plan level, not critical, but it's just to give that first look at you know, the number of buses that could be coming into Vail and should be. I mean, I think our goal is to encourage transit. And so we want to make sure that we accommodate it so that people will use it. Uh, <coughs> last subject. We'll go through this hopefully a little faster. Emerging technology. And I think a lot of this is probably uh, some things that you've seen, um, but things that are coming down over the next decades and maybe will be more prevalent in 20 years or so. Uh, I'm sure you've heard of autonomous vehicles. There's been certainly a lot of prototype pilot programs uh, throughout the nation um, about how how does that work? how does that feel and it's one of those one of those types of uh, technologies that we should be monitoring, recognizing that it's very slowly coming uh, when it actually will be here full and uh, we don't know but but some of the things that have been identified is that it certainly potentially will decrease parking needs, which is great for down but uh, uh, conversely, it increases congestion. Uh, vehicle miles Vehicles miles traveled because now you have cars running around with nobody in them, picking and dropping people off. Uh, and it, it, it actually, uh, s- the studies suggest that it would probably decrease the desire to use transit because now instead of getting on a bus that only comes every 30 minutes, I could just call a an autonomous vehicle, and they'll take me to veil in eight minutes instead of fifteen or twenty-four minutes. Um, so that they're seeing that we have to be prepared to set our own policies and on how that should move forward for Vail, and what, how do we make transit a priority potentially over autonomous vehicles in the future, so that uh, transit is the go-to uh, transportation instead of autonomous vehicles, but you know. That's for a discussion at a later day, but this is just kind of hitting the iceberg, uh, tip of the iceberg, uh, with regards to autonomous vehicles. Uh, alternate fuels vehicles, obviously, we're well on our way with electric, uh, but certainly we need to be thinking about what's next. Hydrogen being probably the most prevalent at this point, you know, just monitoring that and how it moves forward. Uh, because potentially it's unlikely we'll have all electric vehicles, but it's someday it might be a combination of, of different types of fuels and what's the next type of fuel that comes forward. And we just need to be aware of that uh, as we move into the future. Uh, intelligent transportation systems and connected vehicles. Connected vehicles is a big thing. A lot of the new technology and newer, newer vehicles have everything to do with connected vehicles and the, the cameras that are within <coughs> them. Uh, it's just a, a network of sensors. Uh, within, within potentially a city, you know, potentially in the roundabouts, like we have cameras in the roundabouts, and what can they identify? Uh, potentially, potential collisions. When is a pedestrian crossing? It can, it, potentially, a camera on a light pole could tell a car that's coming into the roundabout that there's a pedestrian crossing uh, at this location. So the car knows well before the, the person knows uh, that it's coming. And these are the types of things that are that are occurring with smart cities. There's a YouTube link. I won't go <coughs> to that right now, but if you watch the last 30 seconds, that's the, the overview. I was going to click that, but I think you guys can click that on your own. Um, that gives you kind of an uh, identification of what those types of things are. Um, things that might be of interest, uh, you know, traffic and pedestrian counts, obviously, you know, noise. It, can, it potentially could monitor noise. Now we do noise studies in specific locations every Few years, uh, but it is something that could be monitored if we wanted to look at kind of what the noise was and how frequent it is. Uh, Other technology trends: smart public transportation, MOS, which is mobility as a service. Uh, This is where you really are able to have a user say, "I want to go from A to B," and not only will it connect you on uh, town of Ail transit, but it also say, "Well, you might want to grab this vendor's." Uh, e-bike ride to this bus stop, get on Town of L transit, then go on to Eco. It'll it'll cross vendors, and I think that's the critical thing. So you know how how it's easiest to get from point A to B, and you can do it all from all from your phone. Um, and last, drone delivery <laughs> services, however that may. Uh, Come in the future. Certainly, there'll be state and federal regulations regarding that. But again, town, the town needs to talk, think about how how does that regulation need to filter in through Vail? How does Vail want to handle that if and when it comes in the future? Um, something just to just to just to be more aware of uh, versus we really need to come up with any policy now. Uh, the last slide kind of talked about this kind of what's coming sooner than later. Um, but in most cases, we just need to start monitoring and, and studying what's coming, coming into the future and, and looking at other pilot programs that are ongoing now and seeing how well, well they work. And so that's all I have for today. I have any other additional questions, but uh, we will be back in front of you um, with a larger plan, um, rolling all this together and some of the <coughs> feedback that we've received. We'll be bringing that out to the public. Uh, hopefully in an easier manner than some of these presentations. Uh, the, the goal is to have an online storyboard of all this information, uh, so that we re- reach out to the public and then we would go through the PEC and council process uh, over the next several months.
0: Anyone else have any questions for Mr. Casmel or Mr. Hall? Thank you guys. All right, Thanks. Thanks. thank you. All righty, up next we've got our DRB and PEC updates, Yes, thank just you. DRB.
5: Just DRB, PEC fell on the 25th, so that meeting was canceled. All
0: right. <clears throat> Anyone have any questions about DRB? Track D was tabled.
12: I see. Track D was tabled?
5: Yes, at the applicant's request. They wanted to make some minor alterations before going
0: back to the board.
12: Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Thank Thank you you very much.
0: Thanks. And then revenue updates, any comments or questions on revenue? I did, uh, I didn't know if on parking passes, if there's a way that we can see, I mean, I know we didn't charge we just kind of reauthorized all the local passes right. if there's a way to see kind of what the utilization of that is like are people using them or not using them I, I, utilization I assume, I assume they that. are but like yeah, yeah just I, had,
11: it is. I had the same question because <clears throat> I knew you had to verify you had to go in and verify everything online. It was a
1: re-verification process right Greg right,
10: right. so um, there wasn't a charge but you did have to and you got an email going in line online, and then um, re- bring up your. You don't have to verify that you are local, but you do have to get a new QR code. So it'd be kind of cool so to so see, see how a, many yeah. people.
11: It'd be cool to see how many people wanted a new QR code. I.e., they liked the system from last year and they decided to do it again.
10: Do do what, yeah? Do, just it, how what
0: percentage of people renewed who were. Or, or actually using their, yeah. is that what you're asking? Well, I mean, whether or not they're, but if, did they renew it and,
4: yeah. Um, I have that number and can bring it with me this evening. Great. Yeah. Yay.
10: Thanks, Carl.
3: Mm-hmm.
10: Any other questions? And, and I guess the other question is, even though I renewed, am I using it? Is, is that what you were asking or just want to <laughs> know that whether they renewed or not?
0: Uh, I mean, if we have both, that'd be great, but the first one the is the start. One.
10: We'll get the first one and we'll see if we can work on the second one. <clears throat>
0: Then did anybody else have any? Anything on revenue? All righty. Uh, matters for mayor, council, and committee reports, and town manager. Let's start with Russ, the oh. new town manager part of time, this. New new
1: format. Um, had a, a number of <clears> different <throat> updates for council. Um, Again, just want to acknowledge and thank Council, you've provided us uh, with adequate budget to be relatively nimble when we do see some significant labor pressure, which we did in the CDL world um, before the end of the year. And we just recently had three different fire districts respond pretty aggressively, uh, both (coughs) in Eagle County and uh, Summit, with uh, changes in wages for firefighters. Uh, Again, we've been able to respond to that within uh, available funds. Um, Again, we'll be in front of you um, soliciting feedback from you on dates for a strategic um, planning uh, session uh, anticipated for the last week of February. And we'll also be scheduling some dates with you for some one-on-one interviews with the facilitator. We will be engaging. His name is Marv Widener. Um, then, uh, also, we are looking at dates for the community meeting and the Veil vale social dates. Um, again, Chris, if you want to jump in, but uh, throwing out March 12th or March 26th for the community meeting and you have any preferences and, again, if you need a little bit more time to think about it, we could do a little doodle poll, but I know Chris is eager to get particularly that one advertised. Any preferences on um, the 12th
0: versus the 26th? Either is fine with me, because I won't be available for either. <laughs> Ooh. I'm out of town most Both of March. Both dates. That's Which kinda... is fine. I don't need to be there. I trust the team.
1: Usually the mayor plays a little bit of a role in this, I believe, uh, Chris? I have,
0: my, I have my amigo. Oh! <laughs> if you guys got that worked out yeah, yeah. if you guys that's have already what, talked that's about the, that's the role when, am, when i'm out he is available right.
13: i have to go to your wedding and make it back for that
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, you got a you got a busy month you know, do we need me, to find an alternative date
8: I, let me I, ask I, a quick question could, could would it be possible for us to do the community meeting on a regular council <clears throat> night i mean I, I, i've never I don't know that we've ever done that. What were we saying, Kevin? It just
14: kind of depends on how much you have on the
8: agenda. Yeah, but I mean, it's enough advance notice that. I
14: if we have plan no it. problem with that at all. It's just you guys meet twice a month, and I know sometimes those agendas get long, but I do believe we've actually already um, passed the method by which you would not have to have two regular council meetings in a month because of last July. Is that correct?
0: 'Cause of what? Because <laughs> of what?
9: Last, last July, Convenient really change?
0: I, I can oh, yeah, I can yeah, do yeah. the fifth of March.
14: Is that the first
9: Tuesday?
0: That, yep, yeah, I yeah, that's appreciate the first
3: council meeting of monthly. I'm, logistically I'm, could that logistically, still work? Logistically I,
14: I'll have to check with Donovan Pavilion, <clears throat> but Tuesdays are generally not a problem.
0: I mean that typically
8: <clears throat> that goes for okay. an hour and a half, two yep. hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. maybe we could start at, you know. 11 o'clock that morning you guys
14: could still certainly i think have your afternoon session if you wanted and then move into does that conflict with our next our questions about trailblazer though typically we would do the trailblazer trailblazer luncheon the day of the community meeting but that's we don't have to do that it's just something that we used to do we're very flexible Well, I will, if I'm getting nods, happy to just confirm with Donovan Pavilion, but I'm hearing the fifth. Fifth. Okay.
1: Great. Just need to keep an eye on any quasi judicial actions that would be coming through, but none, none that we know of at this time.
0: Yeah, I okay. I don't mind giving Barry all the pressure either. It's no all pressure. the responsibility. You keep the bar pretty low. That's true. <laughs> Let's look at the fifth.
14: <coughs> I'm Thanks. staying here because I think the next one is also a date question that I want <laughs>
1: other dates includes the veil social throwing out August 27th September 10th and September 24th
14: last year you guys will remember we moved it up into August because we had conflicts in that second right. Tuesday again we try to keep them mostly the Tuesday there's nothing written in stone I should say about Tuesdays just we're trying to be cognizant of your general availability in, in your lives outside of being council members. Um, last year, we got very 100% mixed feedback about it was too hot. It was, you know, we it Beautiful was a little weather. bit, yeah, they yeah. felt still in the in the height of the season a little bit for some people. Other right. people totally loved it. They were warmer. They liked the vibrancy still happening. So I mean, we don't have a strong preference in that way. I will say the event review committee, which is our internal kind of review committee, does like that that other that later date better that mid-September date just because it's a little bit easier for our own folks logistically the last date in September we just threw out there it was an original date possibly before I got here um, but I think it probably might be a little bit dark and cold so
8: I got another suggestion how about if we can we do this on a Wednesday instead of a Tuesday because I was gonna say we have a council meeting on Tuesday, the seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Everybody's hopefully here. I would assume they're all going to probably be here on the eighteenth, following that. And we that way we don't tie up uh, another uh, people at whatever. I mean, I know myself. <coughs> I'll always schedule going somewhere on a non-council week.
3: Gotcha. Um,
8: Nine eighteen.
0: Going once. Yeah, I mean it's fine with me. I I think earlier. Or the i mean the day. nice thing about august was it was daylight yeah. the bad thing about that, the first year we did it it was dark and cold real quick well uh, so the sooner we do it in september i think it's also like people aren't in the full kids swing but like well that would be the for the weekend after labor day then right <clears throat> that would be the fourth which is probably not i mean, mean.
12: that's probably travis's birthday <laughs>
6: Is it? Yeah, it is. No way. Yeah. Is we're, not, we're, we're not doing it on my birthday either. Oh, man. I,
0: what a great day to have a party. <laughs> we could all
8: sing, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Mayor. If you want to do it, that's fine. I'm sure. Testing. I'd love to roast you all night long at that thing. Absolutely. No, kidding. Um, I'm pretty open. The 4th or but,
0: the 18th is fine. I mean, I, I understand what you're saying. like. But you make a good point
8: about the light, though. And that that, you know... That was nice last year. I remember leaving there and it was still daylight out as I recall. But I, I Okay. On eighteenth. Not
0: eighteenth. Eighteenth.
12: Eighteenth. Yeah.
0: Eighteenth.
14: Eighteenth.
9: Chris. Good.
12: Except Maybe we
8: start a little earlier
0: no that's a Wednesday do you want a Wednesday
14: what well you you proposed
8: were
9: Tuesdays
14: but now we're looking at a Wednesday after a Tuesday council meeting I I think think was a suggestion five Five is
7: when it starts yeah that sounds great all in favor of the 18th 18th
1: Chris, okay. good. Thank you. Thank you, Thank
13: Thank you, you Chris. Chris. <clears throat> That's our community
1: picnic. Finally, I wanted to give you a quick update on Lion's Head and Village Parking Structure. After our last meeting, as you know, we engaged a gentleman named uh, Craig Racy from Martin & Martin Engineering who did a site visit um, a couple weeks ago. Then he gave you a verbal presentation on December 19th. We received his written report, which I included in this update to you on December 23rd. On a Saturday, I was able to communicate that to Public Works and they began immediate implementation of this uh, with the removal of double bumps, other bumps. So I just wanted to summarize his specific recommendations where Public Works was in terms of the implementation. Um, One observation (coughs) was there is a lack of signs related to speed. And the other idea that we would like to implement um, right away is purchasing three uh, speed limit digital signs, which do two things. One, they provide a digital display of your speed, but even more importantly, they give us real data uh, over time in terms of vehicles in the structure. So we would like to implement that idea. And for the others, we'd like to monitor the situation, utilize those three uh, digital uh, speed devices to both display (coughs) speed, but also get real data, and then we'll get pricing on other ideas that are in here, but kind of see where we land for the season, utilize this real data, Um, and, again, I just want to answer any questions you have on this at this time.
8: Dave. I don't I, know. I think you know. As I said from the beginning of this thing, first of all, I want to make it clear. I never ordered anything <laughs> as printed in the Vail Daily. No, no. I like the Val Daily. I like Ellie Longwell. I don't believe I ordered anything. Um, I think this is a great start, Russ. I like what we've accomplished here. Thank you. You got it done, and uh, that, that, that's good. I think to have radar speed limit signs in there that would also give us data would be fantastic because everything right now really is hearsay. So let's, uh, let's see if we really do have a speeding problem. And I think a five mile an hour speed limit, I, I challenge anybody to go in there and drive five miles an hour. I, I think that'd think be
1: something to take a look at yeah. in the
8: future.
7: So that's all I have on that.
1: Great, thank you very much. And uh, don't just hesitate. Just Russ, really
7: quick. Yes, uh, right. Yeah, obviously right. significant improvement already I'd like to count how many we pulled out. Uh, But the other thing I would say is if we, I know I saw the recommendations, kind of secondhand recommendations that went further, talking about even reducing our speed bumps more. Yes. Um, The one thing that we did notice, um, and having utilized that structure a bit over the last two weeks, is the speed lump bump locations at the actual pedestrian or before those be more appropriate um, to slow people down as they're coming to a pedestrian crossing area. Um, That might be more strategic than some of the placement (coughs) currently.
1: Any other questions? How many are out? More than 50%.
0: Anyone else? Have any questions for us? Thank you, Sam. Let's just start with you and <sighs> go down the line.
11: Oh my gosh! Hi, everyone. Um, happy New Year. My only thought for this week is I've been thinking about the Intopia report from last meeting, where we're down twenty percent in April because <coughs> of the way Easter fell, yeah. um, and I'm just curious if we have any interest to try to do something about that, um, and if that would be a VLMDAC, a VAC poll, if it's us, how does that work? Because it makes me nervous, personally.
4: Thank you. It's so much about the way, Mia Vlar with the Economic Development Department, so much about the way that Easter falls this year, right, so that the f- week before Easter, the week after Easter should still be really strong, and then we're going to actually continue, as I understand it, through the 21st of April. So what we were looking at, we've had limited success, quite honestly, in the past with trying to promote lodging because when it's warm down in Denver and that's really the market that we're pulling from, it's hard to move them in that way. So we're thinking about actually activating on events. And so we have a discussion with the CSC tomorrow specifically to look beyond that Opry at the Amp, which is that second weekend of April, into maybe doing something more Colorado-based, local, kind of fun. Uh, and an additional concert that we could do that following weekend, so we'd have something more to draw people up than just the snow and just the ski experience. So more to come, but we're working on that. Okay.
1: Mia, yeah, can we say anything about the concert potentially?
4: Uh, the April concert, yes. Um, it is the- It's in the Veil vale Daily. With that. Yeah, all right. it's in the Veil vale Daily. It's all, it's all public now. Yeah, and it's the <coughs> 6th and 7th. And so, again, that's the weekend we feel really good about, everything <coughs> following that. We've got two, two more weekends to go, so we're really looking at what can we do to move, move the needle on those dates. Just so, to
11: be but, super clear, that's more that's a than like stumble upon busker type things. This thinking, is like, right?
4: somewhere. I would say it's almost like a hybrid between probably what they're doing at Operate the Amp and then what we do kind of in the villages. Something where it's a Colorado draw is what we're thinking, like a Colorado style band, Colorado style activation, so that we can draw those folks from the front range up to ski as well. Okay, great, thank you.
0: So then you'll come back, we'll hear more about this.
4: You bet, we're gonna brainstorm a little bit tomorrow and we've got some additional leads.
0: Awesome, thanks. Thanks.
3: Make? Yeah.
7: All right. Russ, a dude wanted. Uh, Public Works needs a nod. One for keeping the village as clean as they do, and the amount of effort they put out every morning um, to make it spotless. For someone that goes in really early for work, quite a bit. Appreciate it, mate. I appreciate the amount of effort that's put in for nine in the morning. So please give them a nod. Code enforcement. We had a conversation last week. They got on it. I will tell you, Hanson Ranch Road is something that needs constant monitoring. Throughout our weekends moving forward, I think the code guys probably said that um, checkpoint Charlie isn't nearly as important. I think during some of these high traffic weeks that we're having, I do know on patrol, Troy's is a pickup location for us with the Ambi. It's something we can't get around. We bring people <coughs> to the of the hill, and that's our only quickest egress. Right. And they had difficulty getting through last week because. Oh, they did. Yeah, on a couple different occasions. So f- which
1: day? So just to acknowledge, Thursday I did get a call from Beth Howard. We did have a 199 day on Thursday, so we had some high was volume, in the high week, traffic,
7: and you know, obviously morning drop off, <laughs> but people utilize that from about three o'clock on as a pickup, pull over, and I think your code enforcement and VPD was there um, backing them up. But yeah people tend to use that as a close-in pickup. So I we'll want to continue to monitor there. Chief, the only thing i mentioned about Blue Cow Shoot is I watch the <coughs> emergency vehicles twice, activate lights, going up the hill, getting through the intersection and turning them off. So to Jonathan, my point, I really am less worried about the people at Altus and more concerned about that intersection being a little difficult and reviewing maybe motion activated flashers on those stop signs again, because it is a place where there's significant near misses to the point where I think some of the emergency vehicles, even talking to the guys I work with on ECAD, coming up that hill, they'll turn the lights on to make sure they don't get T-Bone going through that intersection. Because um, we have a lot of people in town that tend to be looking around at our beautiful mountain and not at that stop sign. So I just, we had it there for years, it was effective. Same thing for the crosswalks. I want to make sure the lights are working for the people that are actually walking in and utilizing it. So those are my issues. Mayor. I have two. Um, so the email,
13: I don't know if you're paying attention, but uh, there's another house that's gonna be coming into the housing lottery, a pick unit. Um, so if you're interested in owning a home in Vail, be sure and apply for that. And second, just kind of a, a neat fact, today is Judge Bucks. 45th year uh, anniversary as our judge. So congratulations to Judge Buck. That's all I got for you.
0: Um, All right, this is probably late. Uh, I went to the ice show. I forget what the official name of it is. But just coming out of the um, southeast entrance of the ice (coughs) arena kind of where you ha- or not the ice in the southeast centers of the parking structure it was pretty icy in that area so just making sure we keep an eye on that you know just kind of we've been warm cold um, and it's a high traffic corner um, rotary there's the veil rotary branch and I think our our group has traditionally been um, soft in our attendance but they always make the offer for us to go it's wednesdays at 7 30 at manorvale it's a great a great thing um, to just kind of say hi to a group of folks and have a great breakfast as well so i would encourage uh council members to kind of pencil that into your schedule if you can make it uh, every wednesday every, every wednesday. wednesday wow
3: seven, seven
0: yeah seven thirty at Manor vale. manorville so swing by, say hi. Uh, it's a good group of folks. Um, obviously, the town's been busy. You know, <clears throat> Reed said it thanks to public works, thanks to the um, parking attendants, uh, you know going in and out of the booths. They're always super friendly, um, and I know that that's not always the easiest job, but um, you know I appreciate uh, everyone at the town. Um, always having a smile and keeping this place spotless. And, and the same goes to you know everyone in the hotels, restaurants, bars, retail, ski rentals. I know that everybody's been slammed, um, so thanks to everyone there. Um, slow down in the roundabouts, yeah. just like slowing down on certain spots when you're skiing on Bell Mountain. There's just, where there's a lot of people, slow down, smile, it's okay. We'll, we'll all get there. Um, and then, Kevin, I'm gonna channel my Kevin Foley. The Uh-oh. two bus stops at City Market. That the lights. And Kevin's brought it up in the past, but I was driving through the other night, and it's just dark. And there were people crossing from the south side to the north side, and I had happened to like bump my lights on my car, and they'd turned on, and I like. Nearly hit five people, you know, and but there were other cars around, you know, like it's just is there anything we can do with flashers or just something to just make people aware that even if there aren't people crossing, that it's just a spot to slow your roll?
10: Yeah, so we, we did um, submit a design to CDOT, They <clears throat> denied our design for flashers, we were gonna um, narrow that uh, because you can't put the flashers all the way back and you really don't see them. You need to kind of bring them in. And um, so we need to circle back with them. But right now, the, the street lights um, that are there are current allowed standard. They're the 20 foot high, um, fully cut off lights. And so trying to get a refuge island in the middle, and that's what they were kind of denying us, um, putting anything out there. So we need to, and I know Russ and I talked about going down to Grand Junction and having a sit with dot on it, about three or four different issues now that we've owned some property that we were trying to get from CDOT mm-hmm. so bring up some of the other issues that we need to
0: it's just yeah, yeah. It's,
10: so yeah it was it was, it was it was a project we put month. forward and, and got denied um, this last summer and we're trying to circle back with them and figure out how we
6: can get it because it doesn't work
0: yeah okay well cool. thank you Go ahead, Pete
6: uh thanks to jeff wiles and his crew at Vail resorts for the <clears throat> 10th mountain parade on friday night i think we had a record crowd they really turned out to see mayor Coggan in the back of the jeep
3: <laughs>
6: and get a pin um, and, and the other thing that came out of that, too, was uh, a shout out to Dennis D'Souza and his uh, snowplow crew, the legendary winner of 2024 is a little slow getting here, but he got those guys out and they were coming in at the back end of the parade cleaning up. So uh, great job there and, and really to everybody who's gotten us through the holidays. Thank you. That's it.
12: Um, there was a letter in the paper regarding the cosmetic shops on Wall Street and Bridge Street. and. Um, A friend and resident points out that this can be particularly threatening to women, um, as that is the target market. And um, I'm wondering if they they have the appropriate tools to deal with uh, this particular issue, and how we can make them please stay in their space.
1: I'll defer to Matt. I think we did have litigation. We have some specific parameters of what we can and cannot. (coughs)
5: there we're under consent decree from federal court and uh they have to do business <coughs> on prop- their property I forget which the wall street location or another location kind of they have some private property outside of the doorway um and the other i think it's the bridge the br- trees. bridge street they have to stay in the doorway but it, it's you know we we did at one point um create these signs um, that we put on Bridge Street, I think Suzanne did it or something, and it said, "I'm not going to do it." It was more, it was better written. Of course, Suzanne did, but it's like warning, you know, aggressive, Sounds aggressive, <laughs> uh, <laughs> aggressive. Uh, I don't know something. Sales people, you know, I think it's cultural. I, I don't know what to say, Jonathan. Um, we get the complaints all the time. What, what I tell people is complain. We, uh, we did start. I think Ryan or 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 uh craig bettis <coughs> kind of at one point started forwarding all the complaints uh to uh the state, oh, state. um but when does
13: it shift from aggressive sales tactic to harassment and you yeah know, well, if, harassment- if our guests are feeling threatened or
5: where's that shift you know harassment is a specific intent crime which means that to harass someone you have to have the intent to annoy harass or alarm i mean i think they're pretty much would say to the cops that their intent is to sell the pretty lady some lotion or whatever a pretty lady that's you know i, I don't know what to say it's it's just not our style but no. they are uh, everywhere uh, from scottsdale to jackson to I mean, some of the best real estate in some of these communities, um, and they're all the same.
0: Yeah, but we we went. The settlement is a result of us avoiding, you know, extensive litigation.
5: We 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 tried to pass some legislation to to stop it or curb it. And, you know, the lawyer, every every town has tried to do that. The lawyer for Jackson called me and asked me what we were doing because they're having the same exact problem and she was wondering what they could do and so i kind of sent her a copy of our ordinance and then we got sued but that that lawyer their lawyer apparently i mean he already had the briefs written He, he, he files them in every jurisdiction every single jurisdiction tries to do something to get them under control um and he's litigated it in six states already this so it was uh it was um it was a tough one it still is i don't know what you know i i don't have any answers other than if there's uh, a complaint that they're off their property you know they were out in the middle of the street handing out bags and uh, chloroforming people and dragging them um <laughs> but but no we they we, so that's at least changed you know i don't know how often they're out i'm sure they I do. Play fast and loose. <laughs> yeah. Being <laughs> their neighbor in Oh, both yeah, locations. Wall Street location, right? In- oh, oh, yeah. no. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah.
11: I do know. They are closed on Saturdays, which is the best day. <laughs> I mean, it's just so nice. Um, but they're there every day, except Saturdays, like 10 to 7.
0: Yeah. But I mean, I, I, for better or worse, it, it does seem they generally know their, their geographic boundaries. It's better than it was, and they stay, yeah, they, they stay they in the doorway or they stay within that one foot, you know, property. So, I think they've been
5: the been through it a lot, and they know exactly what the limit of their behavior is, and
7: um, they go to it, you know, twenty four seven. I don't understand, they never try to sell to me, so. You can't,
3: you you
8: can't improve on, on what you got. I believe there was a case in Aspen, Matt,
5: that dealt with it, wasn't there? Um, was I have to look back. Yeah. I haven't even done, looked at our consent degree in a couple of years, so i
12: um, I had some folks who live at the Talisman ask what the current policy is on East Meadow Drive access for them because they thought it was a, kind of silly that currently they have to go up to Checkpoint Charlie, check in there, go through a whole bunch of pedestrian areas and then get back as opposed to just dodge through into Meadow Drive. Is, is that, are they allowed to do that off of Vale Road?
1: Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Um, no, we still want everyone to go through Checkpoint. Uh, allows us to kind of see the volume of cars coming through. And what generally happens if we have one car, turn left there Mm -hmm. we usually have three or four go right behind them so we try to keep everyone coming up and around I know it's a little counterintuitive um, but it allows us to talk to them kind of let them know where they're going what we expect out of them and kind of curve if
12: they're used to going that way I mean so let these are people have been there for like 30 years at least
1: I know we're just trying to standardize the 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 traffic pattern through there Um, we really don't want any cars going that direction other than the town buses Um, It just kind of allows us to to control that that east-west there. I know it's
12: an inconvenience. Well, I'm just worried about the pedestrian conflict more than anything else.
1: Yeah. We're just trying to keep that pattern kind of going the same way each time with everyone.
12: I'll pass that on. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks very much. Uh, That is all I have. Um,
3: Thank you. It's
8: nice to see code enforcement out at Hanson Ranch Road. I know it's still a cluster but it has made a difference. I uh, drove through it twice personally to experience it, timed it, it wasn't very good, but um, it's doing a little bit better (coughs) job over there. So, you know, people treat that like it's skier drop off. I don't know how that started or why it started, but it did. Um, uh, Piggybacking a little bit on Sam's comments there, here's kind of a radical thought. What if we had free parking Sunday through Thursday in April? Just saying, might work, might not. Just think about it. Um, fireworks the other night were great. The ski down was great. But when we have all those people over in Gold Peak, and I, I left before the fireworks started, so maybe I can't speak to this. Can those people see the fireworks from Gold Peak when we launch them from the middle of the mountain? I know that they can, in the, they can see them, end of story. I know in the summertime, I believe it was a fire issue as much as anything
4: it's a good question um, we have actually moved the kind of permanent location of the fireworks shooting off between the two villages yeah. specifically to really reach as many people as possible okay. in the continuum and it actually does the best job of that of any of the locations yeah. that we've used thus far
8: that's what I've replied to people when they've asked I said and you think about it, you bring in Lionhead, people can go up to the sandstone structure and look from there mm-hmm. people yeah, it's. Yeah, probably better, but you know, gold peak was kind of the gold standard. Yeah, that's kind of what you're used to. Yeah, Yeah. okay, no no worries. Um, Why do we advertise Solaris parking on our Town of Vale parking signs, particularly when, according to people that work there, they don't have a a problem filling that structure at seventy five dollars a day. Um, I don't know if we still get complaints on it. Yeah.
1: Um, every now and we then we do <laughs> yeah so again we as part of the Solaris development we asked them or required them to have public parking so we're trying to optimize obviously utilize our privately owned public parking um, you know okay. to reduce days on the front of drug. okay That's a good question for council Maybe from a just policy put 75 standpoint. in front of it or I, I don't know <laughs> The um, one thing we've uh, I asked... I that
8: much all the time, but I know that's what it is.
1: We've, we've asked, and they have responded, to put their rates in a very clear digital board, so when you are entering, yeah. um, that you would see help. those rates. And if you have complaints, we've also asked them to put the phone number and contact yeah. uh, for Solaris. I'm not
8: going after Peter here and Brian. <laughs> I'm just saying it's, it's a customer experience that um, yeah. isn't always what our customer was planning on. Do we also have Cascade
0: on the parking website? Uh, well, and trust me, it,
8: it, I'm glad that structure is there because it provides another option for our guests and clearly our guests don't mind paying that much money, food for thought for the parking and transportation Depending on the task guests. force going <laughs> forward.
3: <coughs>
10: but, to, uh, to Cascade we have, it's, it's on our um, website, it's on all our brochures that it's an additional <coughs> one. And then we have uh, permanent signs up on the frontage road that says additional parking at Cascade Village. Okay. Um, but um, we don't have because we don't have any variable message signs down there, right. and it's it's significantly further. This one, if Vale Village fills, but you're wanting to go Vail Village.
0: Right. No, I just, I mean, it's another option that's out there. It's got great access oh. to Chair 20. But we have more
10: more most complaints during the winter, during the summer. Summer. Yeah. Because uh, he's still charging and we're free we're and people not. just. Yeah, that's, in, and, and I, that I know station. I've
8: asked about this before. I was one of two people that went to the public meeting saying, why do they get a P parking sign? What? I'd like to, is, P, I like to have a slice parking. of pizza right in front of my business, but, you know. Anyways, that's
0: all I got, Travis. Thank you. We have a couple other things. On Trailblazer, do we have to make that decision today, or can we... Chat amongst ourselves and follow up at the next meeting.
8: Let's chat today and make. This I
7: mean,
10: it's just
14: just choosing two of you to be on the committee to go through the. We you're not making
6: a decision on. No, yeah, are yeah. And,
0: I know, but just. But yeah, we're running you, short on time. yeah. Oh, I'd like to nominate no. Pete.
6: <laughs> I agree. I, I was on last year. You did again. a great <laughs> job. I'll be your backup
13: if nobody else wants. I'd to. be on there.
6: I'd You've do done it before. Easy decision. Sure. What about I've the, done it, but
8: How about everybody but yeah, Travis? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. I was say, I would like the opportunity for Sam or Yeah, me. what about the... Yeah. there are two people last yeah, it, it, But if you're... You do what you want. <laughs> That's fine. Well, sam, I, for sure, because <laughs> sam, Sam's sam got fun. it.
11: I feel like Pete and Jonathan have the most no, history no, with the Trailblazers. No, no, no,
7: they just did it. <laughs> we need some young people.
11: <laughs> <laughs> is that Jonathan, you volunteered did it two
0: years ago. <laughs> <laughs> sam?
7: Yeah. Okay,
3: fine. All right, yes. And then Pete did it last year. I'm in. All right, Sam's in.
12: Good.
0: Sam and Peace. Sam and Dave. Perfect. Sam and Dave. Dave did a good job. I love that. Sam and Dave. That's okay. You're kicking it's circle out. I, I kicked him off. He's got yeah. four, you four more years and he's got more time. It's okay. It's all right. Okay. Done. Decisions. Uh, Committee, Committee appointments.
13: Reed was actually asking about taking over as the
1: RTA <laughs> chair. <laughs> I thought you all agreed
0: that's a permanent appointment. That's a permanent, that, I told that's Nick very...
5: you were trying to snake your way off that. He was crying. That is out. a
0: beyond counsel. Beyond yeah,
5: yeah, you're it. on for good. Yeah,
0: <laughs> you're 2045. You're, you're yeah. going to be on that. Yeah. One. I think he's <laughs> legacy. Um, so, where was it? Sam had a question about being the lone. CC4CA policy committee. Like, was didn't you say something?
11: Well, I had heard because there's three names, but I swear Kristen said that CC4CA. It's all one thing. It is it's all just one split thing. Up, yeah, yeah. So, it's
12: it's just you know it's just different. I feel like that's be
11: the same person. It should
12: be. I think so. Too. Okay,
0: so okay. that's not same. And if that's if if, be...
12: if you're game to do it, I would love you to do CC4CA. Okay, I'll
11: do that.
12: And I'll be I'll you be your I'll back. Steam? I can be your backup. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, oh. it's a good group of folks, and they're getting good work done.
0: Sam,
7: taking all so the
3: CC4CA. Work of the yeah. year,
13: okay. Sam.
7: And then, uh, <laughs> Mayor, I'd like to offer a horse trade. Okay. <laughs> uh, for continuity's sake, I, and Jonathan, you were asking about the parking and transportation task force, and I was the PEC rep for the Open Lands. Uh, so I'm willing to trade draft pick for draft pick.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
7: you can have parking and I'll get open lands back just purely from continuity. Okay. done. Fair enough. All right.
1: Okay. Are we capturing this? Yeah, I'm I got
7: trying to. So I didn't have to yeah. cough up any draft picks or anything. That's good. Is that, so those, are, so
0: Reed and Jonathan are going to swap on open space and parking and transportation sam is stepping up to the cc4ca with jonathan being the alternate and those are the is everyone else good he just picked up like five good good cool wow wow well, thank you it. done super um do we need a, you do need a motion for that do you? <laughs> i don't think so okay
9: uh everybody's so in consensus i am got it <laughs> I see
13: uh, in Mayor Cogan, I would move that we move into executive session pursuant to CRS 246
5: well, a all, all we need is the second one today. based
13: on comments on eliminating the whole topic. <laughs> Mayor Cogan. I move that we move into executive session pursuant to CRS 2464024B to hold a conference with the town attorney to receive legal advice on specific legal questions, and CRS 2464024E (laughs) to determine positions relative to matters that may be subject to negotiations, develop a strategy for negotiations, and instruct negotiators on the topics of town of one, Town of Vale versus Tiga Advertising, Inc. and Gregory Moffett, case number 21CV30034, and Tiga Advertising, Inc., Chapter 11 Bankruptcy, case number 2310553MER. Second.
0: Great, we've got a motion and a second. All in favor? Aye. Aye. I am also in favor. Motion carries seven zero.